available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we make the Podcast of Champions talking all things Pac-12 football. Can you believe Week Zero is coming up? We're going to finish off our season previews for the rest of the Pac-12 South, we've got the Mountain Schools, the Arizona Schools, and speaking of those Arizona Schools, Arizona going on the road to take on Hawaii. We'll preview that. A lot of questions. It's been a week since our last show. You guys sent in a crap load of questions, so we'll do our best to get to those. Hopefully a little less Disney Princess, a little more uh, who's going to have the best offensive line in the Pac-12. Stuff like that. Um, if you have any questions or comments for us, Pac-12podcast at gmail.com is the email address. You guys know where that is since you filled up our inbox. You could also call or text us, 424-532-0678 is a number. Send us a text. Leave us a voicemail. We'd love to play it on the air. You can tweet us at Pac-12Podcast and our website, as always, Pac-12Podcast.com with all our old episodes. And please tell a friend, subscribe, leave positive feedback, five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Help us grow the show. We're picking up momentum, Dave, and I'm ready for the start of the season. I've never been more pumped in my life. Arizona, Hawaii, what a way to kick off the season. Sorry, I was just I was trying to trying to channel my Bill Walton there. I don't think I pulled it off. <laughs> um, we've got some more reviews. You ready for these? Yeah, awesome. Okay. All right. This is from Zune for Life. This is this is I like this one. Uh, Man of La Mancha. A modern serial retelling of Cervantes' Don Quixote in which Don prefers armored booty shorts with a red bouffon atop his head while mounted upon a sickly steed, and Sancho rides a plump golden bear. Together they roam the western U.S. tilting at Larry Scott's monsters wherever they appear in hopes of returning their beloved Pac-12 maiden to its idealism of greatness in former ages. Ultimately, Sancho's attempt to keep Don euphoric are at odds with his biting, sarcastic nature forged from his humble Pasadena beginnings. All in all, hey, it's a Pac-12 podcast, and what more can we hope for? Wow. There, there was a lot going on there. And, and keep lot. in mind, again, that is a review of our football podcast. Um, <laughs> next one. This is from Jesse Jordan. This one is, like, I mean, effusive. You ready? Yes. Put it in your ear. And then the text reads, keeps me mildly entertained when I'm doing brainless tasks at work about how Larry Scott must treat work. I appreciate getting a better perspective on the other schools in the Pac-12 and, of course, the mocking of our fearless leader. Keep it up. Go Beavs. Fire Larry Scott. So that's yeah. another that's another Oregon State fan. We love the Oregon State fans, you know. We'd like the team yep. to be a little better. I believe this is our from, from our friend Shane. It's signed Shendel Degaton. Uh, the Pac-12 Network of Podcasts. A few years ago, smart, innovative folks realized the landscape of media consumption and information sharing was changing rapidly. 
In order to stay ahead, creators would need to be flexible and agile, own their rights and distribution, and most importantly, it seems, ignore football entirely. (laughs) Instead, building a mostly ignored broadcast catalog of hours and hours of completely off-topic, nonsense content that even the most hardcore conference supporters would find nearly unbearable. Five stars. Keep up the work. Awesome. Um, you know, we really do mirror the Pac-12, con- uh, Pac-12 uh, network in some respects, in some obvious respects. Yeah. I mean, we it- both do try to ignore football as much as possible. <laughs> Disney princesses versus football. Um, yeah, those are great. And these are not, you know, I think we both talked about we're not people that usually go on and review things. You know, I buy crap a lot of stuff on Amazon. I never review it. Um, but these aren't like someone just got to the keyboard and, and banged something out real quick. I feel like these were written and had their wives looked at it and proofread it and come up with new things. Like it, I feel like there are oh, a lot multiple, of- Oh, multiple drafts were written. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. People put some work into these reviews, yeah. so we appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, th- no, there was, a, there was a shared Google Doc among many friends before they put this out. Like There was a lot of preamble yeah. to, uh, to any of these things. So somehow that's our- our target audience, that's them. Like That's how that's we, yeah, what we attract our, somehow. And it seems obvious, but our target audience is people who would spend a lot of time on really meaningless stuff. <laughs> that's, that's what we got. Well, this isn't meaningless, Dave. We, we're going to finish out our season. Oh, I beg to differ, sir, but please continue. Our season previews. We're, uh, we're knocking them out. This is the final week for that. But then we have to jump right into game previews because... We got one. And then the following week, there'll be uh, some more for week one. So um, I think uh, we should probably just start at the top. We're going to talk about the Mountain Schools and the Arizona Schools. And we're going to start with the uh, preseason media Pac-12 favorite. Utah Utes. The Utah Utes. Popular pick uh, to not only um, win the division, but among many audiences to win the entire Pac-12 football league this year, uh, which is very exciting uh, off of their first division title last year. A lot of reasons to think they have a very, very good chance of doing so. Uh, They return a ton on offense. Uh, Most of the skill spots, Tyler Huntley's back, Zach Moss is back. Um, Variety of receivers are back. Um, The big question offensively is uh, really, what are they going to do on the offensive line? Um, uh, JC guy that they were getting in, Oliseni, um, he's having some eligibility issues, and he was expected to walk in and start more or less day one. Um, and that's just, you know, I, I think they're going to be able to do it. You know, I think a guy like Nick Ford has some starting experience. He'll be able to step into a role. Um, but they only have essentially three guys with any starting experience returning this year, so that'll be an issue on the offensive line. Um, but that defense is nasty. Um you know, returned basically their top seven defensive linemen from last year. Um, the secondary returns, you know, about half intact. I mean, basically they're down two starters, but everyone else in the depth returns. Um, linebacker replacing Chase Hansen and Cody Barton will be a, you know, a somewhat of an issue. But for the most part, when you return that kind of production on the defensive line, uh, again, their top seven players on the defensive line all return. Um, it's going to be a super senior-laden group this year with Bradley Anae, John Penasini, Lakey Fotu. Uh, that's monstrous. And speaking of monstrous, uh, Penasini and Fotu go a combined 650 pounds at the two <laughs> defensive tackle spots. So Jeez. that's pretty good. So open questions right now. Um, 
offensive line still a, a pretty sizable question mark. I mean, I think they have a pretty good idea who's going to start for them, but how they're going to produce is anyone's guess. Um, Britton Covey still recovering from a knee injury. Um, it's still kind of uncertain whether he'll be back by the opener or maybe a little bit later. And then Zach Moss, there's this weird rumor running around that he did something to his hand, either broke his hand or yeah. messed up some fingers or dislocated something. He denied it. Whittingham wouldn't provide any information, which is consistent with his injury policy. But it's like this weird thing that started floating around about a week ago. And, uh, you know, he didn't. I mean, he denied it and said he's going to be playing in the opener. But you just you don't know. I mean, it could be somewhat of a ruse. So. Usually when there's that kind of rumor that just suddenly comes out, there's something to it. So maybe he won't be 100%, but um, uh, he certainly doesn't seem to think it's a big deal. So um, that's one thing to keep in mind. But, you know, when you're creating weird issues off of rumors, that's probably a good sign for your team, yeah. right? When you have to, like, go and searching for something like that to, you know, find something that's a problem. It's better, that's than, good. It's better than, like, a whole bunch of guys getting arrested or blowing out their ACLs right. or, or whatever. Or, like, for, for example, like, a guy making up a story about like rescuing a nephew or something yeah. in like a swimming pool. But it turns out that he actually jumped from like a second store balcony and hurt his ankle. Yes. You know, like just for, as a, for instance, timely reference, David Woods. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's talking about Josh Shaw who did that for USC a few years ago. But um, the Zach Moss thing, you know, BYU's the first game. Maybe it's a little, you know, like you said, it could be a little bit of a ruse. Maybe they're just trying to, uh, plant some seeds there. Who knows about that? I think when you hear Kyle Whittingham talk about uh, this defensive line, it's pretty crazy. Everybody that produced uh, for Utah last year on the line is back. Three of those guys were all Pac-12 players. Uh, you got the conference leader and sacks in there. I mean, it's just this was a Utah defensive front that was just so stout uh, against the run, and it's it's going to be better this year. And you know, for, for Whittingham to say like, Hey, this is going to be my best defensive line. I mean, that's saying something. So I know there's some issues on the offensive line. I believe there's a couple of grad transfers that were going to help uh, with the depth a little bit. And then, you know, Moss, you want him to be healthy, whatever the hand thing is, but Tyler Huntley too. make sure he stays healthy uh, throughout the year. I think his turnovers have come down, you know, from a couple of years ago, uh, obviously he's a dynamic playmaker. Um, you know, he got, end up getting hurt last year. Uh, and they, you know, they, they were able to bounce back and, 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 you know, still win the South. But I mean, if you want to do actually win the PAC 12 and that talks, that's not just winning the South, but beating a Washington an Oregon a Stanford, whoever you're going to need help Huntley to be uh, healthy throughout the year. So can he do that? Can he stay healthy? Can he still be productive? Can he still be dynamic? Um, there's a, I think this, you know, there's a lot of potential here for this Utah team. I, I wouldn't have picked them to win the whole thing, but I, I picked them to win the South, like you said. Yeah. And speaking of quarterback, this might be as good as I've felt about the quarterback depth at Utah in quite some time. I mean, Tyler Huntley, I think he's probably their most talented starter that they've had in, in a while. Um, certainly more talented than Travis Wilson. Um, Jason Shelley looked okay. I mean, given that he was kind of pressed into duty in November last year and, you know, really hadn't had too many reps before that, he ran the offense pretty well, led him to a bunch of wins, um, and as a dual threat, um, certainly gave him some element with his legs as well. Um, so I don't know that, you know, I, I, I think there is like a pretty good 
you know, tandem there. If, you know, if Huntley does get a couple of nicks and bruises throughout the year, I don't think it's going to be, you know, disaster time if Shelly has to go in there. I would I, feel pretty good about that and better than I would have felt in a long time with uh, Utah's quarterback depth. Yeah. And Andy Ludwig is back. So uh, Ludwig and uh, Whittingham go back 30 years. I think they coached at Ohio State together. Uh, I'm sorry, Idaho State together. Uh, he was Utah's offense. I mean, offensive coordinator before. I think when Whittingham first got there, there's a long, long history there. So someone that's very, you know, that Whittingham's very comfortable with is now going to be uh, running the show. So what does that do, um, you know, for this offense? Uh, there's there's obviously talent there. You know, patch it up the offensive line a little bit, but you you like the playmakers. Um, I I don't know. I mean, I, I just feel like. This is a team that's going to be really good on defense and probably even a little better on offense. You know, I, this is my gut feeling. Yeah, and the, the I think the question if you're if you're picking nits, um, the question is probably going to be linebacker because um, not only do you lose Hanson and Barton, but two guys who came in that they were initially expecting to I don't know potentially contribute this year, Mike Juarez and Manny Bowen, uh, the Penn State transfer, are both done. Um, Juarez, I I, I think. Whittingham more or less implied that he never arrived at camp, <laughs> basically. Really? I and didn't even Manny, see that. Wow. Manny Bowen three weeks ago said he was giving up football. So I guess it wouldn't be Utah football if there wasn't some weird retirement that happens. <laughs> um, maybe they can convince him to come back. Who knows? Um, but that'll, I mean, that presents some issues because then, I mean, it, it, then it, the depth chart looks, starts to look a little bit thin. Um, you know, you've got Francis Bernard um, and Devin Lloyd, both who played last year, but. Um, you are really starting to look for some bodies that can immediately come in and play. I mean, Sione Lund, the transfer from Stanford, um, Andrew Mata'afa, Quinn Fabrizio, all those guys are probably going to be counted on to, uh, to actually play this year. So um, that is, uh, that's an issue. If you're, if you're identifying an issue, now you hope that the defensive line performs so well that it doesn't, you know, that it doesn't really matter. But yeah, uh, that's linebacker depth and, and who's going to play where is... Uh, Certainly a question to answer at this point. You, I know you put a note then about Britton Covey coming off of the knee injury. I haven't seen anything new about him. Um, I want to check on Jordan Wilmore, too, uh, four-star running back they got. I'm not sure how he's done in camp, but I'll uh, let me Google that real quick. Look at us. Look at us yeah. being so Well, he's someone I was curious about good. and I forgot to look up beforehand, but... Um, yeah, and there's a, and I should mention there's another junior college linebacker who's probably going to be coming in as well. Trennan, I think Carlson is his name. Yeah. Um, who uh, is hoped to to contribute this year? Um, but yeah, I mean, there's some nicks and bruises. Linebacker depth is probably a worry. Um, and Utah, it is kind of one of those things where if if they do lose a couple of guys, the depth isn't great across the board. I think you would stack up Utah starters against a lot of teams. But um, you know, once you start scratching down a little bit, if they if they do suffer a spate of injuries. Um, Really, any more at linebacker, that could be a, a pretty big issue pretty quickly. Yeah, and uh, Josh Furlong did tweet out that uh, on August 14th, so five days ago, that one of the most heralded recruits, uh, he's already turning heads in camp and having early success. So I look good for him. Uh, he was a nice kid to cover. Uh, he was committed to USC for a while, so I got to interview him a few times. But uh, good luck to uh, Jordan Wilmore and see if he gets some some action this year. Absolutely. Uh, the Absolutely. schedule, David, so... You, you, you know, the, as far as Utah misses go, 
Stanford and Oregon. That's pretty good. You know, if you got that doesn't suck. That's not bad. Suck. Only five away games, so uh, a lot of games close to home, and one of them BYU is you know in the state of Utah. Um, they'll have some you know a bunch of fans there. So very curious to see how this schedule uh, lines up. Uh, NIU and Idaho State after that BYU game. So you know could easily be three and zero heading into week four uh, to take on USC, which you know could essentially decide. Uh, the Pac-12 South. We'll see, but that's uh, that's going to be an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, th- there's they haven't been set up for an elite season um, with you know both a a team that's very good and a schedule that's easy in a long, long time. Um, so it's it's incumbent on them to take advantage of it. I mean, this should be a nine-win minimum team this year. Um, there are so many factors at play for them. Um, Really, there's like one game on here where you could see them not being favored, and that's Washington yeah. on the road in November. But I would say right now, I mean, a lot can change the complexion of USC based on how they look in the first three games. Uh, but right now, you know, a month out, Utah's probably going to be favored in that game. Um, and then really, it's a it's a really easy slate. I mean, Washington State's one of the tougher conference opponents outside of USC and Washington, and they get them at home. Um, the road game at Oregon State should be completely manageable. Um, Washington's their toughest opponent, but they get them on the road, so it's you know it's not a thing where you know they it's a must win for you know e- even for playoff purposes. Say this team finishes eleven and one with one loss at Washington that they then you know get revenge on in the title game. That's not going to ding them. Yeah, did, um, and if you can get through that Washington game, you got a bye week in week 11, and then it's like UCLA at home, Arizona on the road, and Colorado at home. So it's not like you finish off with this you know, extremely difficult schedule. They could really have a loss or even two at that point and kind of cruise in uh, you know, and, and set themselves up for another run at the Pac-12 title. One thing I would say is that Arizona game, I mean, that's – that's turning into like a mini rivalry between these two teams. Yeah. And I, that's not a gimme, no matter how bad Arizona is. Um, that one, I think, could be a really interesting game. Um, but you're right. I mean, this is setting up for a, a altogether pretty easy slate, about as easy as you can get in conference. And then that non-conference schedule, they, they should be able to manage that with ease. I yeah. mean, obviously, BYU is a semi-rivalry game now. Um, you know, that holy war that Utah doesn't like to acknowledge. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I would say if it, this would be a disappointing season in a major way if they don't win at least nine. Um, and if it's not due to injury, if it's just, you know, they get beat in some of these games. And I do think that's that that would be disappointing for Utah fans. This is at least a nine and three schedule. Yeah. All right. Should we uh, move on? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go uh, stay in the mountain area, and we're going to go with... Colorado Buffalo. All right, so Colorado shifting gears this year to the Mel Tucker era. Um, Obviously, Mike McIntyre's time at Colorado did not go... Did not finish the way he would have liked. Um, You know, have that nice uh, double-digit win season to look back on, but last season was not so good. Um they return some pieces. Um, I think this team has some potential offensively. Uh, whenever you return a st- uh, senior quarterback and Steven Montez, I think that, you know, gives you some continuity that, you know, even with a new offense, you've got an experienced guy who can run it. Um, 
tailback though is going to be entirely new whoever it ends up being um we've heard some things that jaron mangum has looked really good the true freshman uh but it's still from what i can tell an, an open competition between basically about four guys uh but jaron mangum has definitely turned some heads but they're going to replace in trayvon mcmillian um uh, kyle evans and bo bishrad all who are gone um, so that'll be a little bit of a challenge. Um, they return maybe the best overall player in the league, LaVisca Chanel. Yeah. Are we ready to say that? I, I would, yeah, I wouldn't put anyone he's in the him. He's in the conversation, yeah. right? Like he's at least top five. Um, Chanel, um, Katie Nixon and Tony Brown all return. Um, so that's top three receivers from last year. So that's really, really nice for Montez to have. Um, and then the offensive line returns quite a bit. Um, they have to replace Aaron Hagler and Josh Kaiser, but they return what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys who have started games in their career on the offensive line. So not too bad. And they get a transfer in from Oklahoma state and Arlington Hambright. So that's not too bad. Defensively is where things might get a little bit weird. Um, they only returned one of their top five defensive linemen from last year, only two of their top four linebackers and only, three of their top five DBs. So there is going to be um, a changeover there. Uh, Mel Tucker is more of a defensive guy. So, you know, that can lean one of two ways. That could mean, okay, he's going to have an immediate impact there, or he could be so married to his type of system that it takes even longer for guys who are in a different system to adjust. So that'll be all interesting to see, uh, be all very interesting to see. Um, they did get a transfer on the defensive line, John Tavius Johnson from Auburn. Big nose tackle. Um, he could uh, come in and play immediately. Um, but I, you know, I'm still kind of in the in the boat of you know, I'm, I'm this this season is a wash. However, it goes for Mel Tucker. I think he gets at least a year to really even see what he's got before you start grading him on wins and losses. Um, and this year, it just along with that, just what you would normally do with a new coach, it really does have the look of a rebuilding year, especially on defense. Um, you know, I think that offense will be good enough that they'll be able to keep up with some teams, but I just I'm not seeing the full picture of a team that's going to be competing for the Pac-12 South this year. Yeah, and that's I mean that's kind of why I didn't really predict them to win a lot of games. I feel like Bell Tucker's the right guy. How many games did you how many games did you predict them to win again? Look, uh, two. Yeah, yeah, that was right. You, that's two. You picked. You said they'll win in four. Okay. So you, I'm always bullish on the Buffs. You always bullish that's your on team. The buffs. Um, mm-hmm. I, but I do I like Belt. I think it's going to work. I don't think it's going to work this year. Now, if you look, is it going to be similar to the ASU situation from last year? Remember when we talked to uh, Chris Cartman and some of the, you know, with the senior quarterback and uh, you had a great you know, wide receiver. And uh, I, I just don't, I don't think there's going to be enough there. I mean, you look at Steven Montez, uh, he started 27 games at Colorado, which is absolutely crazy. You know, you know, he's got the strong arm. He's, he's mobile. Uh, he's a smart kid. Um, if he can get, I think he needs just under 3000 passing yards to be, uh, Colorado's all-time leader. And if he gets 18 touchdowns, he'll also get the, you know, the all-time lead in that too. So he could have a historic season and be the most prolific passer in Colorado history. I think the offensive line is a bit of an issue, but you got Levis Chanel, you know, I think they were five and oh, when he was healthy. Right. So you need a guy like that on the field. He's got to make sure he's on the field. And there are a couple, like you talked about the losses on the defensive line and linebacker, but Mustafa Johnson's back. He's, he's awesome on the defensive line. Nate, Nate Landman did a ton last year at middle linebacker. So there's, there's, a, there's some studs, but I don't think as much depth uh, around them. So you, you're going to have some really key 
veteran players, but is there enough surrounding those guys to do better uh, than what? They return, they return two defensive linemen who played last year. Yeah. That's not, that's, that's not great. But Mustafa Johnson's, <laughs> but one of them's really good. Mustafa Johnson's great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's really good. Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. So it, I think it's just going to be tough to win this first year uh, in Boulder. I, you know, I, you want to see, and you want to see some improvement throughout the year. Can you sneak up on some, some people and, and, you know, and, and get some wins that maybe people don't expect? Uh, you hope so, but I'm just, I, I just think it sucks because you'd like to have Steven Montez for maybe year two uh, for Mel Tucker, but that's not going to happen. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. It might be the same thing that what we see with ASU starting like a true freshman uh, quarterback next year, but that's just kind of what I feel, Dave. Yeah. And um, we should also mention uh, the cornerback situation for Colorado. Um, they've switched a couple of guys to corner Tariq Luckett and Dylan Thomas um, have both switched over there largely because um, Colorado had four quarterback cornerbacks transfer out of the program after spring. Yeah. Um, and came into preseason with just five on the roster. Jeez. Five. Five corners. Yeah. Uh, That's not a lot. So if you're counting the number of corners you should have on a roster, it's not five. <laughs> especially, yeah, especially now. Like maybe in 1936, but not now, you know. Like I would think the minimum for just like pure corners is like, you, you'd feel okay at like eight. Yeah. But you probably want ten. Because uh, most of the time those guys are playing nickel too. Um, yeah. So, and, yeah. But that's going to happen. You get a new coach coming in, and you're going to get some transfers. I didn't think there'd be as many on the defensive side of the ball, but you know that's just the way things goes. But they had they had a lot more receivers. You move a couple of these, and they I don't think either of those guys were scheduled to play. So you move them over and help them with the cornerback depth, and uh, you know Thomas and Luckett should be able to to do that. So just kind of mixing around some things. But that's that's just another sign for me, David. That it looks like this is a sort of not rebuilding, but just sort of like, you know, it's starting, you know, it's new construction from the ground up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. This is uh, this is going to be uh, Mel Tucker's edifice, and he deserves some time to get it going. Um, and I think this year, you know, you have limited time to recruit your guys. Um, you know, I, this year's year one, or what Bill Connolly calls year zero, should always be a wash, and it looks like this one will be. Um, but if they surprise even a little, I think that's a really good sign. You know, if they do go four and eight, like I predicted them to, um, I think that's a major win. Yeah. Um, and it's, a, and they went five and seven last year, so it'd be a step back in theory, but I, I, I agree with you. I think that would be a win. Yeah. Part of the reason, uh, unlike the Utah schedule, the Cal schedule, I mean, the Colorado schedule is a little more difficult. So missing Cal, which, you know, tough defense. Uh, but not much offense there. So that's, you always get a puncher's chance. And then missing Oregon State, which, you know, the Oregon State-Colorado game has become one of our favorites every year. So that the fact that that's missed is, uh, I don't really like that, Dave. Um, five, no. five away games and one neutral site game, which is the opener uh, at Mile High Stadium against Colorado State, but also hosting Nebraska uh, and Air Force. So, um, you know, Nebraska is one of those hot pick teams with uh, – Scott Frost, you know, year two, even though they had a losing record last year, they're ranked in the AP poll. We probably should talk about the AP poll too. I didn't forgot about that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not as easy of a slate. The Pac-12 Pac schedule is tougher than Utah's and the out-of-conference uh, schedule is tougher than Utah's. Yeah, there's no, there's no real, I mean, Colorado State and Air Force aren't good, but they're still, you know, 
teams that their last good season is in living memory. Like these are teams that can be frisky now and now and then. And there isn't, well, basically there isn't an FCS school on the schedule. This would be a great year to have scheduled an FCS school. Yeah. Um, they've got real opponents the entire year. Um, Colorado state, they should win air force. They should win. Everything else is a toss up at best. Um, you know, Nebraska, a lot of people are expecting them to get the, the year two bump from Scott Frost, um, where they might be really good this year. Um, the Arizona schools beatable, but also not gimmies. Oregon, probably not beatable this year for Colorado on the road. Um, Washington state, I'd say probably not USC at home. Maybe. I mean, we talked about that one last week. It's a Friday, it's a Friday night game. So yeah, weird things, things can get happen. weird. Uh, at UCLA, UCLA wasn't good last year. If they're not good again, then yeah. Um, but, I mean, th- we're talking about a lot of games here where they're going to be dogs. Um, I mean, Arizona at home, they might be favored in that one. Um, you know, at UCLA, depending on how that season goes, who knows. But there's not a lot on here where you just say, oh, okay, yeah, that's a win. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Colorado State, Air Force, and then hope for the best. Um, so, like I said, if, if they get to 4-8 and eight out of that um, – especially in year one of new schemes on both sides of the ball. That's, that's a total win. That's something Mel Tucker can sell. I know it sounds weird. You can sell four and eight, but I really think you can, if you, if you, you know, have the guys who can pitch it. And I think he does. Um, and then, uh, and then you'll be a little bit more off to the races. Um, I think two and 10, you know, that's not great, not easy to sell. Uh, but even then it's, it's your zero and, and fans should have a little bit of patience around that. And I'm saying that as somebody who has absolutely no patience with Chip Kelly. Uh, but yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, two Pac-12 wins last year. It's going to be tough to repeat. Um, but if they do, that'll be a good step forward. So uh, we'll see. And Mustafa Johnson had uh I believe he had 20% of the team's tackles for loss from last year and 26% of the sacks. So one-fifth and one-quarter of the tackles for loss and the sacks for one dude. So it's good to have him back because he was very productive last year. For sure. Um, do you want to, before we jump into the Arizona schools, do you want to, we can do the uh, AP poll real quick. I forgot about that. So Yeah, I'd love to talk about irrelevant polls. Let's do it. Five Pac-12 teams are ranked. Uh, Oregon number 11. Uh, so no Pac-12 teams are in the top 10. Washington, number 13. Uh, number 14, right behind them, Utah. Um, Washington State comes in at number 23, and Stanford sneaks in at number 25. I believe ASU had a few points, like in others receiving votes. And uh, Arizona and USC each had one vote. So one person put Arizona and one person put USC as the 25th team in their AP poll. Mm. Uh, and okay. there's also a, uh, oh, I forget the website, but they chart like how everybody uh, ranks people. And our buddy John Wilner got like the most like uh, out of out of the ordinary votes. I forget what they the term that they use, but it was like, the you know, like you have like the norm, like the normal votes. Like most people are picking Clemson number one, you know. But so if you put Clemson 10, you would be out of sorts with what everyone else says in the rest of the poll. Apparently John's. Yeah, John John consistently does this. If you ever get a chance, read his um, post ranking rationales every week. They're truly breathtaking stuff. <laughs> like he does some mental gymnastics for these rankings that are incredible. I recommend it. He puts a ton of thought into it. A lot of people don't, 
Um, and he's got his own system in his brain, and it is unique. Nice. Um, well, all right. Well, we'll check that out. And uh, if you guys want to check that out, you can kind of see uh, where everyone is ranked and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we're going to move on. Uh, we just have two schools left. So we're going to start off uh, in Arizona with Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> All right, we're going to make a mistake that we made last year, but we're going to make it again. Are you ready for it? Yes. We are going to talk about Arizona State without having yet talked to Chris Cartman. That was a mistake last year, yeah. Yeah, and we're going to do it again because, as always, we do not learn from anything. (laughs) All right, Arizona State, uh, they recently named a starting quarterback, uh, true freshman Jaden Daniels. Um, Many talking about him like he's the second coming. Uh, He was apparently blowing everybody away in fall camp to the point where people were like, he's the best true freshman ASU's ever had, regardless of position. So there's a lot of hype around this guy right now. I am super excited to see what he looks like game one. Um, but there is a lot of expectation around him uh, immediately coming in and being very good. Um, and it looks like Joey Yellen uh, won the backup job, who's another true freshman. Yeah, that's so weird. That- so not uh, – I'm blanking on his name from last year. Um, Dylan Sterling Cole. He's yeah. had some injuries that have kind of dinged him up a little bit, um, left him – uh, somewhat of a shadow the player used to be, at least from what I'm gathering. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a youth movement at quarterback. And, uh, you know, I think that seems fine. I mean, that'll be, uh, you know, you'll you'll trial by fire, that whole deal. Um, so Jaden Daniels wins the starting job. Um, the rest of the offense, uh, a lot of guys you know, Eno Benjamin uh, returning at running back. Um, a lot of talk that he's going to be used as a pass catcher a ton more this year. Uh, last year, he caught... 35 balls. There's talk of him trying to get tar- get 50 catches um, this coming year. So using him in slightly different ways. Um, but the ways they used him last year were pretty damn good. Uh, 300 rushes for 1,600 yards last year. Um, not much else in the in the skill position side. Nikhil Harry's gone, but you know a host of guys um, who caught a ton of balls last year. And Kyle Williams, Frank Darby, Brandon Ayuk. Uh, Tommy Hudson, Ryan Newsom, all back. Um, so they give uh, Jaden Daniels some experience. Maybe not that true number one guy that Nikhil Harry was, but a lot of good guys. And if we remember, see, I'll reference a Chris Cartman thing from last year. If we remember, Kyle Williams was talked up as, you know, a really potentially very good receiver. So maybe he turns it on. Frank Darby imp- impressed me with some of the, his big play potential downfield last year. So um, certainly some options. Uh Offensive line has gotten a little weird of late. Uh, Zach Robertson is dealing with a personal matter. Um, Hasn't been in fall camp. Um, It's uncertain when he's going to be back. Herm Edwards has basically been talking about him like, you know, it'd be nice to have him when he gets back, but we can't count on him right now. Um, Cole Cabral has moved to left tackle with with, um, Robertson out. So, and I think it's Cade Cote has moved into the center role. but so they're having a little bit of mixing and matching up front um, that they weren't necessarily expecting to have. And, and Zach Robertson was expected to be, you know, kind of a mainstay on that left side. Um, so that's that's a little bit of a worry. Um, and then defensively, um, you know, a lot of these names, you know, Merlin Robertson at uh, linebacker. He should be one of the top linebackers in the league this year. He already was last year, more or less. Um uh, Chase Lucas at corners, one of the best corners in the league. Um, they've got some bodies, I think, up front. They're going to be 
you know, trying out some new guys. Um, they've got um, a transfer in from Rice and Roe Wilkins, uh, who's a defensive tackle who played a bunch at Rice. Um, but they're going to replace Rennell Wren and Jalen Bates. So um, they've got some guys to replace. Um, yeah. But yeah. I mean, this, this, this should be a fun team to watch this. Yeah. Year. Wren was a stud last year. So that's a big loss on the defensive side. Um, you know, Wilkins started for three years. You know, you know how good. Uh, Nikhil Harris. I guess he's a little banged up. He's in Steelers camp, but uh, um, we'll see kind of what he's able to. Oh no, he's in the Patriots camp. Sorry, he's in the Patriots camp. Um, but you know, Cabral's a guy that considered leaving for the NFL draft because uh, he's one of the best centers in the country. For they to, for them to move him to left tackle seems a little strange. So hopefully they can kind of get that stuff uh, cleared out. But um, Benjamin is the center of everything now. Uh, you know, with uh, with Wilkins and, and uh, Nikhil Harry gone, he had the single-season record for rushing yards and total carries uh, for ASU last year. Uh, when you said he had 300 carries, I was like, holy crap, dude, that guy had 300 carries. But then you're like, why didn't he get 600? Uh, well, I guess they had Nikhil Harry. Uh, but, the, I mean, I think the issue is going to be you got a true freshman that they love. Uh, they were they were hyping him up in the spring. Um, and, you know, but is he going to be able to keep pressure off of that run game? Because it's going to be a little bit different when you, you know, if everyone's going to focus on Eno Benjamin and you don't have to worry as much about Jaden Daniels. So I know he's a true freshman, but you kind of have to go in there. You beat out Sterling Cole. Um, you beat out the other guys. It's going to be his team. And I think he's going to have, they're going to have to throw the football around the field a little bit and not just rely on Benjamin uh, running. But, you know, give me really interesting what, what Rob Likens does. I mean, are you going to try to, bring him along slowly um, or not. Uh, I mean, the good thing is, you know, we'll talk about the schedule in a minute, but a pretty easy schedule similar to Utah. So maybe the easiest in the Pac-12. That's at least something. Uh, but some some real veterans that they're going to have to replace from last year that, that you know, they're just the leaders on this team. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I want to talk a little bit more about the defensive line because I think that's probably one of the more interesting um, – and maybe one of the more telling things for this this team this year, um, they had four healthy defensive linemen at one point in spring, and they're up to I think six now. Oh. So that's that's real excitement. Fifty percent uh, increase. That's good. Yeah, real, real excitement in Tempe. But um, it is looking like Wilkins and George Lee, a fifth year senior, um, emerging as leaders, potential starters in that group. But they still got a bunch of guys who are either recovering or making their way back from injury, um, like. Uh, Shannon Foreman Jr. Um, had surgery for a ruptured disc in April. Um, DJ Davidson is a sophomore who could eventually um, end up the starter at nose. Um, he's working his way back from a broken ankle. Uh, true freshman Stephen Wright had soldiery, shoulder surgery in December, and he was expected to be, you know, promising newcomer up front. Um, uh, defensive end Jermaine Lowell was sidelined last week um, with some sort of stinger, um, and he returned to practice. But they're having a lot of guys who are – just getting nicked up or recovering from things. So that defensive line, even if it's maybe not great to start the year, it could get better as the season goes on, as guys return from various nicks and bruises to full health. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, looking at the schedule, uh, David, missing Washington and Stanford. So that's up. Not bad. That's, uh, if you were going to draw it up, that, you know, what, what ideal would be Washington, Oregon, I guess, but that's still uh, pretty good. Two of the ranked teams. Uh, only five away games also. So, uh, that's nice. You don't have to be 
away from Tempe. Uh, and the out-of-conference slate, uh, you know, starts off pretty tough with Kent State and Sacramento State. But you got, you got a, a road game against Michigan State. So certainly that's going to be, um, you know, that's going to be tough. Uh, they were able to eke out a win last year at home uh, against Michigan State, which is kind of an eye-opening it was an eye-opening game, 16-13, uh, in week two for, you know, that was a big win for Herm Edwards to start off. So um, Michigan State ended up not being all that great last year. Uh, I'm not sure what their prospects are for this year. But going on the road, uh, certainly, you know, not not easy, but it's not that, you know, after Kent State and Sac State, you really got some time to warm up your freshman quarterback and take him on the road and see what he can do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so looking at this schedule, I really think that the, the, the thing for ASU this year is it's just toss-up central. Um, so non-conference play, it's pretty easy to map out the way that's probably going to go. Two and one, likely with a loss at Michigan State, but wins over Kent State and Sacramento State. But after that, it's, it is so much is going to depend on how they perform in these pure toss-up games. And I'm talking about at Cal, Washington State at home, at UCLA, USC at home, and Arizona at home. Those are five games that Connolly's numbers have as three-point swings or fewer. Wow. So that is, if they go 5-0 and in that stretch, then they might be competing for the South. If they go 0-5, they might be going 4-8. and Yeah. Um, you know, there's some real potential for this team um, to do some great stuff this year. And it's also, I mean, the most likely scenario is probably 6-6. Six and six. Um, But there is real potential for them to, be very good this year actually with not with the quality of the team not being that great but if they can just do well in these toss-up games because basically if you're looking at it at Michigan State at Utah um, and to a lesser extent Oregon at home those are three games where yeah more than likely they're going to lose everything else is really winnable Um, and if they can you know if they can basically clean up when they need to which is Kent State Sac State Colorado um, they really just, they've got to worry about those toss-up games and, um, you know, how well they do in close games, uh, how well they do with, with Herm Edwards in close games. Yeah. I mean, he, he showed some more coaching chops last year, but, um, than we were maybe expecting than I was expecting Mr. Skeptical here. Um, but this, I think this is going to be an even greater test. If they can negotiate their way to eight and four or nine and three that'll be impressive as hell look at it their schedule from last year so the close games like three four points so they beat michigan state 16 13 um they beat usc 38 35 uh they beat ucla 31 28 they lost at oregon close one 31 29 and then they beat arizona 41 40 so uh you know Five games where you're talking about a field goal or less and yeah. uh, went four and one. And that, you know, I think that's uh, if you want to talk about some benefits of being in an NFL, uh, you know, back, having an NFL background, every game's that like it's not like in college, you've got a lot of games where it's just one team's way better than the other. That just doesn't happen a lot in the NFL. Every, you know, the Cleveland Browns, well, they'll be pretty good this year, but you know, you have the worst team in the league and they could they could beat the Patriots one week. You know, it just that just happens. Um, there's going to be close games and, you know, he's certainly used to coaching in them and he did a really good job with Arizona state last year doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's probably well suited to him. You know, <laughs> it's, it's a very parody heavy schedule in the pac 12. Yeah. 
So conference of parity. Maybe maybe a little advantage there. Um, maybe. But, you know, we'll see. Uh, Danny Gonzalez, too. What's this defense going to look like year two from San Diego State? Um, yeah, I, there's a lot of interesting aspects. Even though you lose some of those big-name uh, players, I think, you know, with the the excitement of a Jaden Daniels and, you know, seeing a, a Merlin Robertson and some of those young, uh, you know, young players kind of grow as sophomores, I think will be uh, really interesting. And they rec- they've recruited pretty well. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious to see how they look. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's see. We're going to move our last team that we're going to preview is Arizona Wildcats. All right. Arizona. In year two of Kevin Sumlin, um, year two of Khalil Tate starting under Kevin Sumlin. Um, so uh, this is still one of the most interesting things for me um, is the way Khalil Tate changed as a player last year um, and just kind of what the reason for that was. Was it the injury? Was it not? Um, by all accounts, he's looking more like the old Tate yeah. or sounding more like the old Tate from, from fall camp. Um, so we'll see what that ends up looking like in, in practice. Um, you know, Noel Mazzoni has never been super fond of running a running quarterback. Um, but last year Tate wasn't super effective as more of a pure thrower. So maybe they go back to what worked. Um, but that's, I mean, that we could talk all day about everything else on this team, whether Tate is Tate from two years ago or for that month and a half, two years ago, or whether he is the Tate from last year. I mean, that that's going to tell the tale more than anything else. Um, so, you know, there's only so long we can talk about that. But, I mean, that's that's going to be the story of this team. Um, running back, J.J. Taylor returns. Uh, he was a stud last year. Pint-sized, but he put up basically uh, Eno Benjamin numbers, 255 rushes for over 1,400 yards. So uh, that took the weight off Tate to a certain extent from a running perspective, um, having Taylor out there. Uh, and they returned most of their running back depth chart. Uh, Gary Brightwell and Bam Smith both return as well. So pretty much all that production is back. Receiving core is a different story. Um, they lost uh, Sean Brown, Sean Poindexter, and Tony Ellison from last year. Uh, the general look and feel of this receiving core is it's a little bit bigger um, than it was in years past, um, which speaks to kind of the with the way um, Kevin Sumlin is recruiting. Uh, he clearly likes some size there. They now, I think, eight of the 11 guys I was reading uh, are six feet or taller, and the average weight is 196 pounds. So getting generally just a little bit bigger. Um, so we'll see what that ends up looking like. Maybe it gives Tate some, you know, stronger, bigger targets, easier to hit. I don't know. Um, but Cedric Peterson is really the only meaningful returner there um, from a previous production standpoint. So they're going to be breaking in a lot of new guys, and it'll be interesting to see which um, faces emerge. Uh, the offensive line has a ton of continuity. Uh, Cody Creason, Josh McCauley, Donovan Leahy, and uh, Bryson Kane all return. Uh, they're basically re- uh, replacing one starter from last year in Lathe Freak. Um, so we will see what that ends up looking like. Um, defensively uh they're they're replacing their two starting defensive tackles uh more than likely it's a pair of uh, jc defensive tackles who are going to come in and start trayvon mason and miles tapusoa um so it will be you know and we'll see we'll see what that ends up looking like um but they provide some size up front tapusoa i think tips the scales at 330 mason's um more the longer type but still 65 280 um so there's 
you know, potential. If they if they're if they're really good, um, and you never really know with JC guys, but if they come in and can immediately, you know, hold down that area and, and do a pretty good job, uh, that'll keep a lot off of the linebackers who are really good. Uh Colin Schooler, uh the Mike linebacker is He's so much like Scooby Wright that yeah. I think was it you or an emailer who got him wrong? An emailer sent that in and we just rolled with it. Like just Oh no, it was Jason. Jason emailed back emailed in like his top player and he was calling him Scooby Wright because he's so much like Scooby Wright. <laughs> um but they returned basically everyone in the linebacker core. Tony Fields to uh Tony Fields a second, uh Anthony Pandy and Day Day Coleman all return. Um and the secondary also. Uh the top, you know, five of the top uh six guys from last year return. Um, so there's reason to think this defense, which has made some small strides, um, in kind of the year one of, well, I think two years ago to year one of, uh, Kevin Sumlin could make another leap this year, as long as they can figure out what's happening up front along the, uh, defensive front. If those JC guys can come in and be pretty good immediately, then this defense might suddenly be, you know, something that we're not joking about. That's actually top half of the league or so yeah that's uh Trayvon Mason and uh Miles Tapuso right like that's those are the two guys that are coming in I, yeah Tapusoa I think Tapusoa oh sorry um yeah, yeah I think J- I think I was emailing with Jason and he was talking about those guys really they were expecting from the like I think from early on they were expecting those guys to kind of come in and uh and be um you know and, and be big contributors there I the problem is I I what we're hearing about Khalil Tate is positive. That's a really good thing. But no Poindexter, no Ellison, no Brat. Like there's just less guys for him to throw it to. Uh, does that mean he's going to take off and run more? We just want to see him be somewhat close to what he was a couple years ago. And he just felt like he had shackles on last year. We need to be able to see him just be himself and go out there and make a lot of big plays. And I think what's going to help is. You know, the running back situation is a lot, you know, the depth you're talking about there with J.J. Taylor and a lot of guys uh, behind him. They're, they that might be the deepest group and most talented uh, position group that Arizona has, and that's a good thing. And the interesting thing is, if you remember, they hired a first-time college coach in DeMarco Murray, and he was playing in the NFL in 2017. Uh, there was a good article by Michael Lev about Murray uh, just this past week. If you want to go check it out, um, it's on Tucson.com. Um, but talking about his relationship with the players, uh, with Noel Mazzoni, um, even though he hasn't coached before, Mazzoni's like, he knows what he's doing. I just let him do what he wants. You know, he's like, how are you doing that? Okay. So that's basically what his uh, attitude towards DeMarco Murray is. And uh, the players love him. I mean, they're like, if you can, if you have a guy coaching you and you know, when you were in college, you would read his name on the scrawl and on the ESPN sprawl down below. And um, he was on your fantasy football team. It's just, it's created this connection. So even though he doesn't have any experience, I think it's helped uh, that running back room and they needed, you know, obviously you need a really good coach. You got a lot of good players there. You want to get the most out of them. So um, with JJ Taylor and that group just seems like uh, this is going to be a really good uh, fit for them. And DeMarco Murray got coached by, Kevin Sublin uh, at Oklahoma. So they had a, a relationship uh, for a while. So I, I thought that was a really kind of interesting aspect to it. Some some good hires in the desert between uh, Herm Edwards and Kevin Sublin. Some guys that maybe a little off the radar that everyone wouldn't bring in. But I think some of the guys they brought in, it just seems to fit what they want. 
Yeah, and I, you know that that feels more like a recruiting hire than a coaching hire. Because um, in this, knowing what I know about Noel Mazzoni's scheme, it's got to be one of the most running back friendly schemes out there. I mean, basically anybody who's in this offense for a year puts up, you know, just weird video game numbers. Um, JJ Taylor did it, but even at UCLA, I mean. Jonathan Franklin and Paul Perkins both put up just career numbers in this scheme. Um, so probably pretty easy for a position coach to come in and get his feet wet as a college coach in this scheme. Um, so I think that's probably smart by DeMarco Murray. And I think it's a good hire um, because he will, um, I'm sure, boost recruiting efforts um, when you can flash that kind of NFL production at kids and recent NFL production. It's one thing, you know, a lot of a lot of staffs have, you know, the guy who played in the NFL five or six years ago. But that's when a lot of these recruits were 10 years old, not paying attention to the NFL. But DeMarco Murray, everybody's going to know that. Yeah. Um, so that's I think that's a really, really canny hire uh, by the staff. He had I think he almost had like 1900 yards uh, was like the offensive MVP of the league a few years back. So, I mean, he's someone that, you know, you would remember, um, you know, from his playing days. I'm curious to see. I, I haven't uh, read much about his, you know, him being a good recruiter. He very well could be, but he might not. You don't know. I mean, it's not it's not for everybody where you have to, like, call up kids and text kids all the time. Um, you would think if he wanted to, to do it and work at it, people would really like him. But sometimes, you know, you get a guy like that who doesn't really care about recruiting all that much. But I, I just don't know. I haven't heard anything about his recruiting. I would just think, it, I, I, notwithstanding, I would say the resume itself um, does the job there yeah. uh, to an extent. Um, and you know, he's a guy who's, who's very recently out of the league. So I think that, but no, I mean, he's probably not going to be, you know, some all-star recruiter immediately from like actually putting in, you know, it's a, it's a weird job and you got to kind of have weird people skills to do it right. Yeah. Um, but as a, as a resume thing, I think it's great. Nice. All right. Well, that's our season previews all done. Uh, we still got a lot left to do. We're going to take a really quick break, come back and preview Week zero, uh, Arizona versus Hawaii game. Back in one minute. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, David, we already played the sound once, but we're previewing a game, so we get to play it again. Arizona Wildcats. Wow. We're talking about... A football game. Isn't th- a real live football contest between between two <laughs> college football teams. Isn't that insane? It's really wild. And it's gonna be on August twenty fourth. That's crazy too. Yeah. Why is there football happening that early? Huh? I mean, I'm not mad about it, but why? Why is it also happening at 10.30 at night? Why is it also happening on the CBS Sports Network? Answer me all of these questions now. I cannot. And I now i got to look it up because uh, I have Hulu Live now. And I don't know if I get CBS Sports Network. 
Uh, and by 10.30 at night, I mean 7.30. But I'm on the East Coast, so you guys are going to have to run with my East Coast. Right. Team. But we uh, the good thing is that we do work for 24-7. And so we might be able to get, if we don't get it, we could probably get it through work somehow because it's, you know, CBS owns us. So I'm not holding, I'm not going to hold my breath if I don't get it. But I got to look it up and see. But I got to watch the game, obviously. I either go to a bar or something, but I'm going to watch that one Saturday night. Yeah. Well, you got to watch it. I mean, I'm going to find some way. I'll bootleg a stream, whatever. Yeah. Whatever. That's our job. Like our jobs yeah, are to, yeah. well, it's not like we get paid for this job, but it's still part of our job. It's part of our self-selected <laughs> job that others might call a weird hobby. <laughs> yes. What of what of those? Um, yes. So I, I, so little behind the, you know, behind the scenes stuff, I have like these little charts where we can kind of put in our picks for everything. So um, we can put in the spread. We'll put in our picks. I got the board up there for all of our picks against the spread. We did our preseason picks. We'll be able to kind of compare how these teams do against those, but also week by week, how we do against the spread. So I'm excited about that. If you guys don't know, we've been doing this for three years. At least we've been keeping track. And uh, let me count out the number of years David beat me at carry the two. Okay, he hasn't beat me yet, but maybe this year, David, you could beat me. Maybe I always start strong. You do, yes. I always, I always start really strong, and then I, I, I lose the thread at some point. I think I get. I'm just gonna try to go first instinct this year because I think I get in my head about it, and then I'm like thinking all the angles and stuff. But this is a dumb man's game, as you've proven for the last four years. <laughs> so maybe I just need to, maybe I just need to get down, way, way, way down to your level, and then I'll be able to do it. The single cell. Thought process. Yeah. If I can get down to like eukaryote level, then I feel really good. I think I'll be able to handle this. Awesome. Well, thanks for turning that around. Uh, let's see. <laughs> so I already played the sound. Um, oh, so I should probably read off the details. Yeah, if you want to go to the details. That's how we we'll do, do this. That, yeah. yeah. All right. Kicking off at 7.30 p.m. on CBS Sports Network. So, okay. I, I got to stop again. Why is this happening on CBS Sports Network? There's a game on ESPN three and a half hours earlier. They could have another game on ESPN right now. They could have it on ESPN 2. This could be on Fox. This could be on any channel besides CBS Sports Network. CBS Sports Network is reserved for like the seventh best Pac-12 game in week seven. Not the like basically the, the season opener. I'm guessing because it's a Hawaii home game. That's got to be... Whatever. Give up your rights, Hawaii. Give up your rights so people can watch the damn game. All right. All right anyway. 7.30 p.m. CBS Sports Network. Arizona traveling to Hawaii. Arizona is favored by 11 points in this football contest. The over-under is set at 73. Expecting a bit of a shootout. Um, so... Hawaii was an interesting team last year. They were expected to be very bad, and they ended up only kind of bad. Um, and actually, record-wise, they ended up fine. I mean, I think they finished 8-5, and five, but um, quality-wise, I mean, that was against a really weak schedule. Quality-wise, they weren't very good, but they were explosive offensively. Um, look, we're not going to talk about the defense, but they were explosive offensively. And a lot of that offense returns. Cole McDonald, the quarterback, returns. Uh, Fred Holly. The third, Cole McDonald, Dayton Feruda, Miles Reed. Those were their top four rushers from last year, and they all return. Um, receiving core returned two of their top three guys from last year, and their entire offensive line returns. So that offense could be gangbusters this year. Now, the defense was, yeah, atrocious last year, but they returned most of the guys from that defense. Again, we've talked about this at length, but is that a good thing or a bad thing? You never really know. 
Um, but the long story here is that Hawaii should be a little bit better this year than a team that was pretty darn frisky last yeah. year. Um, so that is interesting. Um, Arizona, uh, like I was saying before, their defense should be quite a bit better this year. But the offense could take a step back. Um, it really does depend on Khalil Tate. If Khalil Tate is Khalil Tate from two years ago, the offense, I mean, it'll it'll be way better than it was last year. But if you just look at the numbers from last season, losing all that receiving production, it might take a while for the new guys to gel. So, I don't know. 11 points feels like a lot. It's on the road, weird spot. Hawaii's going to be amped up for the game. This is their, you know... Their first of, I think, three Pac-12 opponents in non-conference play. Um, but, you know, they've probably had this circled for a while. Um, it's their first game, and then they get two weeks off after this. So um, I'm going to take Arizona to win, but I don't think it's going to be by 11 points. I'll take Hawaii. Wow. All right. Well, I'm going to – we got to start week one off on a different foot. Like, we just can't do the – we can't be a lockstep. We're going to have to go different. So I'm going to take Arizona and lay – the 11 points. Um, to me, if you look back at Hawaii's 2018 season, when they played the more athletic teams, uh, the games weren't all that great. They did get a good win against San Diego State late in, uh, late in the season uh, in overtime. But, you know, Utah State blew them out uh, by 40 points, 39 points. Um, you know, Nevada beat them by 22. BYU, a common opponent for Hawaii and Arizona last year, one forty nine to twenty three against Hawaii, and Hawaii got that squeaker. I think it's eighteen sixteen or something against Arizona last year in the opener. So, I, you know, I'm going to do that. You know, the point differential there and say that that's going to be enough. That uh, Arizona was hanging with BYU last year, and Hawaii did not. By transitive property, Hawaii will not cover against Arizona. So, I will take Arizona minus eleven. Yeah, uh, well, it's nice that you're still comfortable being very wrong. <laughs> I feel so good about this pick now. I, w- if, I wouldn't have feel, felt as good if you picked it, but now that you didn't. Yeah, I bet. I, <laughs> I bet. <laughs> but we're picking games for week zero. It's crazy. Yeah. It's a crazy world we live and in. You, um, so that's, 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 that's it for week zero. Though. Yeah. Uh, there are two games, two entire football games in this entire week. I don't know what is going on. Yeah, and this one could definitely be on a different, uh, a different network and stuff. Did you know, David, that uh, we talked about um, Demarco Murray? We talked about the really deep group of Arizona running backs. What I think is going to help them? They've led the Pac-12 in rushing the past three seasons. Did you know that? I didn't. Yeah, know that. pretty interesting, huh? So, yeah, that wasn't all Kevin Sumlin, obviously, but uh, just one year. So we'll see. Well, two very, two very good running spread offenses though i mean two kind of similar spread running offenses and rich rod and then yeah normal zone and then so it makes having sense. a guy like tate run the ball sometimes no not as much last that doesn't year. suck no that two years ago you would have said yes ago. of course because if you even had a running back do anything tate himself would have uh well and even brandon dawkins was running pretty damn well yeah. in that offense um so. wow weird all right so i guess we should uh go to questions now i guess it's so. really easy to preview one game when we when yeah, we get twelve, easy. then it's harder to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do we want to ask people to self-edit their questions a little bit, or we just let it fly? Like, are we? Because it, it's going to get to the point where uh, we're not like we. I think we have sixteen. Um, if it's going to happen like this every week, like we're we're not going to be able to get to them all. 
Yeah, use your best judgment, people. Like, if you've got something really funny and good to say, then okay, use a little bit of the studio space. But come on. If we're just asking, you know, we don't need like a 12-minute preamble. Remember, and look, maybe this is part of the job we could do ourselves, but we're not reading these things beforehand. <laughs> we jump in. We don't know what the good stuff is. So if you can self-edit a little yeah. bit and just winnow down to the good stuff. Yeah. Uh, that'll make it a lot easier on us. Of course, we appreciate always the the questions you offer, and uh, because it you know more or less makes the show, especially in the off season. But you know, we could use a little bit of your assistance uh, as the season kicks. We don't want to discourage, obviously. Uh, no, certainly not discourage. If you're gonna call, no, no, you can no, say whatever you want. Leave a voicemail. We don't care. You don't need to edit that until we get too. Well. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we just don't have a, We haven't had voicemails for a while, so leave us a voicemail. Yeah, no, so, so yeah, leave a voicemail. All right, do it. Uh, I think we'll start with Mark. Um, I believe that's the first one. David Woods' top five things he says to his wife before recording the podcast. So apparently, this is a friend of yours, David. And he knows what you tell uh, your great. I've I've never met a person named Mark in my life, but this sounds great. Nice. I'm excited. Uh, Ryan and Dave, after listening to countless episodes of your podcast, it occurred to me that Dave has a certain passion for doing these each and every time. His passion is so strong, it's almost contagious. Here are the top five things David Woods says to his wife, David Woods isn't married to my knowledge, before recording the podcast of Champions. Um, Unless you got married and you didn't tell me or something. but No, no, no. You know that you're like the third person who's asked me if I've gotten married secretly (laughs) in the last week. (laughs) Really? (laughs) I guess it feels like something I would do. yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, you guys, it seems like you're married and you have kid, you know, you have kids and everything. But. We are effectively. I mean, and in Georgia, common law probably kicks in here pretty soon. Oh, there you go. Uh, all right. So yeah. here are the top five things. Number five, if I call in sick, do you still think I'll still have to record today? Would you say that to her? Okay. Number four. I, I think I've said something very similar to mm, that. Yeah. Four, I can't believe football season is almost here. God, I can't wait for it to be over. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, so that one's that one is not me. Like, I get legitimately excited for football season. Now, if we're three weeks into the year, maybe this will be me. But no, I, I still get kind of childlike excitement every football Saturday. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, number three, the worst thing about UCLA football is, well, everything. Uh, yeah, I probably said that. Number two, I hope verbatim. Yeah, maybe. I I think I've heard you say that. Number two, I hope we don't get too many email questions this week, especially ones about football. I think I've probably said something similar to but that. But we yeah. do want football ones now. Uh, the number one thing, Dave. I I kind of don't, but yeah. I okay. Could. The number one thing David Wood says to his wife before recording the podcast, "Honey, I'm really not in the mood to do this podcast. <laughs> Thanks for what you guys do. Sincerely, Mark." That's me actually every drive home from work, every <laughs> single one on Monday nights. But we do it. I get into it. We have a good time. It's lots of fun for everybody. We love this my, show. Uh, so you're my show wife or I'm your show wife or whatever. And just mm-hmm. really, so this morning I get a text from David and it's like West Coast time, six in the morning or almost six in the morning. And I just happened to my, I have a spin class that I take at six in the morning. So I happened to be at the gym and I was in the gym thinking about texting you to find out if we were going to do the show today. And like literally it buzzed and it was you asking me the exact same thing. And you know what? My first time, like the first moment I thought about it was at like 730 and I'm like, I'm not going to text him. I'm not going to wake him up. That was nice. But you, yeah, look at me, courtesy. Well, 6 a.m. is still pretty freaking early if you didn't think I was, you know. <clears throat> Let me, let's review the records, sir. <laughs> uh, I texted you at 
<laughs> okay, it was 5.52 a.m. <laughs> well, I knew that I wouldn't remember if I right. didn't uh, if I didn't do True. it then. So You could have said, you I know you take your class early on Mondays and Wednesdays. So that's- Well, I was actually thinking that. I'm like, I've seen his Instagram stories where he's posting his workouts. I know what's going on nice. here. Uh, Very cool. Look, this is a this is a beautiful marriage. <laughs> All right, this is Bernie. Questions for Dave. I have been reading the UCLA comment board in regards to Chip Kelly's demeanor. It amazes me how some members want you to provide proof of your take. Personally, I can't help but think that his demeanor affects recruiting as well. I mean, he obviously doesn't enjoy interacting with people. So my question is, do you think his demeanor is affecting recruiting? Okay, so just to give everyone some backstory, if you're not deep in the weeds of following UCLA stuff, there was a little bit of a kerfuffle this past week because Chip was a little bit short with the media as he is wont to be. Um, And, you know, you've dealt with a lot of coaches. I've dealt with a lot of coaches. None of them give any information ever, like except for the dumb ones like Clay Helton, who will like tell you stuff. But most of the time, they're not trying to give you anything. (laughs) Um, and, uh, you know, you expect that, um, what chip adds to it is a certain condescension, which also a lot of coaches do. Um, but he's, you know, just kind of a jerk about it and it's nothing super remarkable. Um, but because there's a subset of UCLA fans who, uh, basically believe the man walks on water and that everything he does is genius. They're assigning genius to him for this when clearly it's just him being kind of, you know, uh, having some obvious peevishness about him. You know, he doesn't really like dealing with the media, so he lets his cantankerous side out. And it's not smart. It's just, you know, he, he lets his, you know, spleen vent a little bit. Um, so my I, I wrote some things about that, just like, hey, you know, I mean, whatever you think about this, and it's kind of dumb, but it's this isn't strategic. Like, it's not a strategic decision to be a jerk to the media. Not giving the media information is a strategic decision, but being a jerk while you're doing it isn't strategic. That's just somebody who has some animosity. Um, Anyway, that sparked a whole big thing on the message board. And what Bernie's asking is if that peevishness extends to recruiting. And while Chip, I don't think, is a super social animal, I think the the cantankerous, the sometimes cantankerous nature he shows to the media is to a large extent reserved for the media um, or people he perceives as, you know, unimportant to the task at hand, um, whether that be donors or whoever. Um, but I think he can turn on the charm when he needs to, um, as you've seen in more national settings when he's talking to, you know, more national media, when he's talking to Ryan's boy, Bruce, um, you know, when he's talking to these people, he can be a little bit more charming and that sort of thing. I think he just doesn't really go in for the whole local media stuff and, um, lets a little bit more of his, you know, edgy side out. So, uh, anyway, long story, yeah. but that's that's kind of the deal. Uh, for Ryan, there are so many articles out now speculating on USC's upcoming season, such as the one by Pete Thamel. Almost all of them discuss Helton's future and his 31-17 and 17 record. Do you think he will survive this season? Also, will Swan be the athletic director? Will, will Swan, the athletic director, survive it? Thanks, Bernie. Thanks, Bernie. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of stories like that. You, you know, coming off a of five and seven season, that's uh, kind of what you expect. Um, Bruce Feldman that that uh, David mentioned, Pete Thamel, all of them feel seem to feel. And there's other national writers that feel that Lynn Swan's going to be gone in the next couple of months. Now we haven't seen anything from the new president, Carol Fultz, who started uh, like seven weeks ago or so. I just got to meet her for the first time. 
getting a tour of the uh, Coliseum renovation like Thursday. Um, very uh, diminutive lady. She's very short, um, but very, she was really nice. But, we, you know, she's got so many other problems to deal with. Maybe that's why, like, the athletic department stuff isn't really being addressed. But just looking at his track record with two FBI investigations and three arrests in his department and, you know, the football team, the basketball team, and the baseball team all having a losing record for the first time in decades. I mean, there's a lot of things that, you you know, besides the fact that he has no experience being an athletic director, there's a lot of reasons that you would want to get rid of him. Um my, I, my gut kind of says they will, but I mean, who knows? It's USC. They do all kinds of crazy stuff. And I think if he's gone, unless Clay Helton does some like 10 game sort of win thing, he'll probably be gone as well. But the pro- the thing is, this is a really talented team. They did fix some of the problems on the coaching staff that they had last year. There's still other ones, but it's still really talented and they could easily win the Pac-12 South. You know I mean? They could do that. So if you do that, are you really going to get rid of the coach? Uh, it's hard to say. Um, but my, my gut is Bernie that they, that both those guys will be gone next year, but who knows, man, it's a crazy season. Yep. Uh, thanks for that, Bernie. Uh, let's see. We have a possible podcast idea from Bernie. I was wondering if you guys would consider doing a podcast with, uh, guests, Danielle Alvary and Keely Yor. I think it'd be great theater getting to see these two bright, attractive sports reporters interact and represent their schools. They definitely have different styles and takes. And are huge fans of their prospective schools. Any chance? Thanks, Bernie. Danielle's a bro. She contributes to Bro, right? Yeah, she does um, a couple of uh, video uh, things for us, um, and I think she she has a Twitter show. I think she may have rebranded it, but I can give that a a bump on here. Um, yeah, hang on. Uh, she can be found at Danielle Alvari on Twitter, and she's doing. Uh, for what it's worth is a little Twitter video thing and uh, also the fours update for UCLA stuff. So check them out. Um, they are good and fun. Um, and Keely uh, obviously works with you over at uscfootball.com. <laughs> yeah, she hosts our, a bunch of your podcasting. She stuff. does podcast stuff. She hosts our tunnel vision show. Um, so like on YouTube and Facebook and uh, Periscope did a good job. She actually grew up a UCLA fan, uh, but she went to, uh, USC. So she covers USC. I would, I don't know if you would call her a huge fan because she's, you know, media person, but you know, she's, uh, she did grow up a UCLA fan. She probably doesn't like me saying that, but, um, the rain of Troy, That's yeah, rain of Troy people like, like to make fun of her for, uh, growing up big UCLA fan. Um, yeah, I mean we could, but it's already such an LA, you know, we already got enough USC and UCLA stuff on here. I, I think they're, you know, it'd be great to do, but we probably want, you know, if if people doing similar jobs at like Oregon and and Washington, we could get them on. Um, I'm I'm going to speak on Ryan's behalf here for just a second. Do you, do any of you understand how much of a pain in the ass it is for Ryan to simply wrangle me for this show? <laughs> Let alone adding not one guest, which we do semi regularly. But if you notice, we don't really do that all that often either, because that adds a, an entirely new element of pain in the ass to this whole thing. But two. Two guests, all of whom remote. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's there's no chance. We could do, no. like, for, like, Rivalry Week, like, we could get, uh, you know, Keely comes in the studio a lot. She could come in and do the show with us. Or, Danielle, we could have Danielle come in. If she she probably lives in L.A. I guess. Yeah. You guys are all local. Yeah. Is she a South Bay person or is she, like, a... Keely's up in Hollywood. I think she's still South Bay. Oh, yeah. okay. That's, she's close. Keely's up in Hollywood, so she's got to make a longer drive. But, yeah, we could have her on sometime, too. 
Cool. Um, yeah. But I mean, and, and if you have other suggestions for, we, we pretty much have the LA ones covered pretty well. So um, since that's what we do, but yeah, good yeah. ideas. Thanks, yeah, Bernie. We already, we already got enough criticism for our LA centric podcast, even though we're both like, I think just generally filled with loathing <laughs> for the schools that we cover in like many real and obvious ways. Um, so yeah. What are you going to do? I think there's probably some UCLA and USC fans out there who would be like, yeah, it'd be nice to have somebody else's voice talking about those teams. <laughs> um, all right, this is from Drake. Uh, Vegas championship game. Hello! Great podcast. I really enjoy listening each week. A couple of weeks ago, you talked about the Pac-12 football championship game moving to Vegas, and John Wilner brought up playing a basketball doubleheader the same weekend to complement the football game. Is it realistic or possible to have the same two teams playing the football game also play each other in basketball? For instance, if Washington won the North Division and UCLA won the South, I can dream, can't I? Their basketball teams would also play each other in Vegas the same weekend. It would give fans traveling to Vegas a second reason to book the trip and could encourage increased attendance at both games. Could the schools and conference pull off getting their basketball teams to Vegas on that short of notice? Thanks. It's a lovely idea. I don't think they would ever do it. I don't think they could pull it. Well, they could pull it off logistically, but there would be just so many weird elements that, that would then change with their respective schedules because people book the tickets, they buy their season tickets and they get, you know, the, the particular games. And if it's a Washington UCLA game that suddenly has to get rescheduled to December, what are they replacing that game in, in whatever February? With? Yeah. Um, so I, there would be too many logistical difficulties like that. Um, if you didn't mind it being an extra game where it counts as like a non-conference contest, maybe that would be a little bit easier and everyone can just keep that weekend open on the off chance. Uh, but that seems like a lot. Um, I could see some some schools balking at the uh, having to leave that weekend open if it's a prime. Yeah. You know, and that I think that early December weekend is a prime, you know, host a game and get some revenue. Um, is that, that's not so, conference schedule yet, right? Like the- No, but I think John's theory was you could have a conference game essentially in December just to kind of make it more Pac-12 flavor. Okay. Um, but by that token, maybe you could have just like a mini tournament or whatever. Um, I don't know. I, you, There's some ideas. Yeah, I mean, if you don't, if you're going to bring in just two Pac-12 teams, Maybe what they do is whoever was the favorites in the football media poll, those basketball teams get to go to Vegas or you do, you know, the top two from each division and then they play each other. Like what, you know, the the top North team plays the number two South team and vice versa. Um, Those teams play. And then there's a chance if you have the top four, that there's a a pretty good chance that one, at least one of those teams is actually going to be in the, the championship game. If you pick the media favorite, yeah. I don't know. Maybe you do something fun like that. Absolutely. But. Do an entire preseason Pac-12 tournament. Do it. Have all 12 teams play in a tournament right at the beginning of the year. Um, counts for nothing, but just an opportunity for them to play some more and also get some games against uh, Power 5 schools. I like it. Do it. Why we not? got uh, questions from Scott. Uh, hey, Ryan and Dave, thank you for somehow keeping... The podcast rolling during what felt like the longest off-season ever. It did feel pretty long, huh? Yep, I yep, apologize, yep. but I have an off-season question here for you. Damn it, Scott. <laughs> like, you you know, you set us up here. Um, okay, one, would you pretend each Pac-12 head coach is an incoming recruit and A, pick the position they would play and B, give them a star rating based on their current athletic prowess, future potential, etc. Okay. You want to do this? I think we I think we can do this. This is only part one of three parts, so I, I know, but I think we can do this. Okay. 
right? We'll do north or south first? Uh, let's start in the south. Let's start with the schools we're familiar with. Uh, all, right. Um, all right. So I'm going to say, so Clay Helton is sneaky, not fat. When you look at him, you're like, when you see him on TV or something, you're like, oh, man, that guy's, he's, he's got some pounds on him. But then you see him, like, not wearing his big flowy shirts and stuff, and he's not fat. No. He's not a fat guy. But he looks like he should be. I guess it's the round head and just kind of general roundness of, like, a lot of There's his features. There's some round features, yeah. I mean, he was a, he played quarterback at Auburn. Yeah, we're thinking he's a quarterback still, correct? I would say, yeah. I mean, if that's what he, if he played that in college, then sure. Yeah. Um, star ranking based on his current athletic prowess. I think he'd be, like, a, a hardworking two-star, you know, something like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, um, not much potential. Yeah. Um, Chip Kelly. He did not play football, right? No, he played some DB. He was a hard-nosed, uh, angry defensive Oh, why did I think he didn't play football? There was some... No, no, he played. Was it Mike Leach? Well, we'll get to him. Leach, right. Leach isn't the one who, is the one who okay. didn't play. All right, so Kelly, um, obviously, let's just let's call a spade a spade. He's put on some LBs since his He's a little days. bigger, man. Um, so is he still playing DB? I kind of think not. No. I think you could have him playing some fullback, maybe. Yeah, uh, maybe long snapper. He's not tall enough to be a lineman. Okay. So long snapper, potentially. Um, but I'm thinking it's fullback or, or, yeah. I don't know about long snapper either. Okay. I don't know if he's got the arm length. So I think he's a... Uh, a or the flexibility. A you got to be able to... An unranked fullback, but, you know... Yeah. Brandon Huffman's going to stop by his high school to watch like five other kids and maybe gives him two stars. Right. Is that fair? Right. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Um, Herm. What did Herm play in college? I think he was DB, a DB. He was a DB, yeah. He looks like he could step out on the field and play some He's DB like a tomorrow. smooth safety. Uh, I would say he's like the, the high three star in the next re rankings, could be in the four star sort of deal um yeah just like the safety combo could play nickel back like yeah i think he's uh there's some upside there with herm and i would say this kevin sumlin he played linebacker i think in college yeah he played linebacker at purdue um still a big guy um it doesn't look you know wildly out of shape you know for a guy in his whatever mid 50s now wow he got old um looks still pretty good shape um I would I I could still slot him in at linebacker. That'd yeah. be fine. Big enough guy. Call him a what a low three yeah, star. I like that. Sure. Um. All right, Kyle Whittingham. Where are we slotting the guy who's in maybe the best shape of anybody in the entire? Yeah, league? he's and I'm counting players. I think he's like your outside linebacker. Um, just tearing people's heads off. Maybe middle linebacker. Maybe he'd be middle linebacker. Where, where, where would you put him? <sighs> Yeah, I mean, he's probably playing linebacker. I think that's what he did in college. So, yeah, I think that's right. I, th- I think he's probably my middle linebacker. I think he's probably my yeah. Mike. Just, he leads the team um, in tackles. He's he's a, He can't be a five-star, but he's a four-star. Um, that a lot of, There's certain analysts that feel like he's one of the best linebackers in the country, but you can't get everyone on the whole nation to get on board and, and do that. So he's a four-star, solidly. Yeah. Um, Mel Tucker, who I always had the impression is much bigger than he is, um, was he's a DB. DB yeah, in Wisconsin, he played. Yeah, um, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I'd go DB. I mean, how he played in the early '90s, so he's like mid 40s. Um, yeah, he's 47. 47. Okay, 
So, yeah, there's. I think current athlete. I mean, he seems like he's pretty athletic. So I would go high three star or something with him. I think that's fair. Um, Justin Wilcox over at Cal. Uh, he played DB, but we got too many DBs. Why you know do we what? have so many DBs in this conference? I think Wilcox is playing receiver. You know, he's probably among the youngest still. Um, can probably move the best, I would guess, because he's younger. Yeah. So he's going to play some receiver for me. And he's younger. He's, you know, he's only 42 years old. Um, I, I like him on the, the offensive side of the ball, especially because Cal's offense is so terrible. So that's that's good. Okay. Um, how many, then, uh, that's, um, that's like a story we should do. Like, how many... Uh, head coaches are former defensive backs in the Pac-12. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a hell of um, a lot. Um, across the pond, uh, David Shaw, uh, he did play receiver in college. I, I, You know, he's one of those guys who, again, he's rounder than he looks. Like he, I mean, no, he looks rounder than he is. He looks a little bit fatter than he is, but I still think his receiving days are behind him. Maybe tight end? Is he tall enough to be a tight end? He's tall. I mean, he's not super tall, but <sighs> you know, I, I just don't. I don't think receivers in his in his near future. Yeah. What about running back? Maybe a little bit too tall. I mean, he's he's not short. He's like six. Oh, is he? Right? Okay. All right. I'll go tight end. I I thought I don't know. I was thinking he's like six six feet or something. But okay. No, I think he's bigger than that, but I don't. I can't look up height. They don't have. They don't list your height if you're a coach, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, all right, Jonathan Smith. He was a quarterback. He's got to be a quarterback. I mean, yeah, that's he's, fine. I mean, he was that's fine. He's he's a quarterback and very recently a quarterback. Yeah. So, so I think he's like a he low four star quarterback. quarterback. Yeah, probably relative to the rest of these guys. Yeah. Um, Mario Cristobal. He there's your offensive yeah. lineman, right? We needed an offensive lineman. We got Cristobal. Um, yeah. What where would you give him as I mean he still seems pretty fiery like he still see and he still seems like he's in fantastic shape so I'm saying he's a he's a mid to high four nice. star nice I I would uh, I would agree wholeheartedly there so all right now moving on to the Washington schools we've got Chris Peterson uh, another quarterback um he was yeah I don't, I don't he was know. a quarterback oh yeah he was a quarterback you uh, see Davis. We've got a couple of quarterbacks already. We don't. We don't need another quarterback. But what, where would you What's put him playing? though? Yeah, he um, seems like a kicker. Oh yeah, I think he could. I think he could be a, a kicker. combo kicker punter maybe too. I bet he was a kicker back in high school and maybe in early college. I bet he played some kicker. Nice. So he's 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 going to be your kicker, uh, Mike Leach. He's, I think he's probably like a, you know, like a. Low, he's fifty four. He's a little bit older, so maybe like a high two, low three kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. All right, so Mike Leach. The guy who didn't play football. Yeah. I don't think Leach is super tall. No. Uh, not in the world's best shape. No. Uh, never played football. Yeah. I don't know where we'd put him. Uh, on the bench. Yeah. <laughs> He's a manager. He's a manager. Yeah, yeah. Team manager, Mike Leach. Right. I think that's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, cool. Two, what do you think of HBO doing a college hard knocks and selecting Wazoo and ASU? Could not have picked two more interesting yeah. teams to do it for. Perfect. The only thing that would be more interesting is USC, just in case it goes full shit show yeah. this year, but it's hard to know. That would have been good. I would have liked to see some Chip Kelly stuff, too, but he might be boring. 
Um, did they do a Chip Kelly? Did they do a Hard Knocks for Chip Kelly at like the Eagles or something? I, I don't remember. I don't have HBO, but I might get it just for this. So um, yeah. what are your thoughts on Saban saying he wants to play at least uh, 10 Power 5 games a year to keep fans interested in attending games and help fix the strength of schedule argument? Thanks for taking the time. Uh, that was Scott. Um, Andrew would tell you that that would not fix the strength of schedule. In fact, it would make the problem much worse because you would be taking away the things that make it look right between the SEC and other leagues and um, making them play real games instead. Um, because they play the FCS schools, their, th- their strength of schedule goes down a little bit, which helps to even things out. But if you suddenly replace those with you know, power five games, their strength of schedule is going to be through the roof every single year yeah, and much, much better than the Pac-12. And they'll get even more consideration for their two loss and three loss teams than they do now, which is already quite a bit. Uh, so like it's inst- instead of like, say Alabama beats the Citadel like week 11 and instead they beat like Iowa state and they just clobber them. That actually right. helps SEC. Okay. Yeah. It helps the SEC. So that's not great. Um, now there is the counter argument that we've made several times, which is there's still a huge subset of voters and, and dummies who just count wins and losses. Like that's all they're doing when they're rating teams. And there will be more losses if the SEC has to go around playing power five teams. So what what matters more, what's gonna matter more going forward, but I think there's a strong argument that this would not help the other leagues if they suddenly played a more competitive schedule. Yeah. All right. Thanks for that one. Was, All right. was that you or me? I this is you, right? Okay. This is me. Uh, this is from Corey and Asher. Gratitude. My son and I enjoy listening to your podcast as we drive to and from school. Okay. Uh, his face always lights up when you play the sound effects. As kids are wont to do from time to time, he made an interesting observation. During one particular segment, I think you may have been ribbing the officials or Champagne Larry, he turned to me and said, For people who talk about the Pac-12 a lot, they don't seem to like it. I I tried to explain that, A, it's hard to create banter during the offseason, B, it's part of your lovable self-deprecating humor, and C, lots of other people in other conferences only have their football program as a point of pride. We should be so lucky. If it's not too much to ask, could you both say one to two nice things about the Pac-12 conference? This would tie in nicely with the theme at school this week, gratitude. We love what you do and appreciate all the laughs that you provide. We're grateful for you. Keep the Ralphie noises coming. Cheers, Corey and Asher. Asher. Well, just, uh, you know, just for you, Asher. Colorado Buffalo. Um, I like that the buffs are in the league. I do like that. I uh, There was a recent poll that came out with, like, the top mascots, and Ralphie wasn't on top. I don't like that. But I love Ralphie. Uh, I'm going to the USC Colorado game this year, mostly to go see Ralphie again. Uh, one of my favorite things. Um, yeah, I love the the coaching staffs that the Pac-12 has put together. I mean, there's just you know you have the 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 button up Chris Peterson, you know, hard to get inside stuff with Chip Kelly guys. You have the wide open Mike Leach and Herm Edwards is of the world. Um, you know, bringing in a tough guy like a Mel Tucker, you know, from the SEC, I think adds a whole new dynamic, uh, you know, the Mario Cristobal's of the world, taking everyone by storm with all the recruiting and 
Kyle Whittingham, who wrestles bears at night. And it's just, I mean, there's a really, I love the group of coaches that have been assembled uh, for the football in the Pac 12, which, so, you know, that's why you feel when the conference is doing uh, the teams a disservice. You're like, man, you've got all these great coaches and you just need to give them some, give them a little oomph, give them a little help, and uh, it'll be great. But I, I love the coaches, Corey and Asher. Yeah. And I mean, I look, for all we talk crap about the entire league, I don't really watch that much other college football. Like, I I prefer watching Arizona go on the road to play Hawaii. Like, I'm here's an example. I'm not going to watch Miami, Florida, which is taking place, I think, three and a half hours before that on ESPN. I'm going to seek out a stream of the CBS Sports Network, which, for all we know, doesn't exist. For all we know, that network does not exist. But I'm going to seek it out because I want that badly to watch Arizona and Hawaii. And even if we weren't recording this show, I would probably still seek out that stream to watch that game. Um, now, maybe that's a little Stockholm syndrome Maybe I was just imprisoned by the Pac-12 at a young age and I've come to love my captor. But that's fine. Look, that's so much of life. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know necessarily why I love it. But I watch every damn game that there yeah. is. Yeah, Dave doesn't even like the NFL. Um, like I watch NFL. I play fantasy. He doesn't watch any of that stuff. He's, he's like all in Pac-12. All in, all in. Um, so yeah, I don't know. And um, what else? What else? I don't know. A lot of the stadiums are really cool. Yeah, the great stadiums. You know? uh, I mean, Washington Stadium's really cool. A lot of them are very unique too. Sal- I mean, the Rose Bowl and the Coliseum. You got the big old bowls, but you've also got. You know, Utah's beautiful stadium nestled in the mountains. Um, Arizona's, you know, their two stadiums are unique. Um, yeah. The Stanford on a literal farm. It's all very cool. The uh, Pac-12 so. has, t- there's three college stadiums in the country that have hosted Olympic Games. And Pac-12 has two of them in Utah uh, and L.A. So the Coliseum. Uh, I think St. Yep. Louis was the other one. Sailgating up at Washington's pretty awesome, you know. I love doing that. Um, I'm thinking I'm going to go up this year. USC plays at Washington, so I'm going to go get on somebody's boat and have a few pregame beers maybe. That'll be fun. Uh, thanks. Gratitude, great theme for your your school week. Uh, Asher, don't let this go to your head that we were talking about you, okay? I mean, I know it's a big deal. You're going to be famous now, but don't let it go to your head, all right? Just keep, you know, nose to the grindstone. Keep uh, getting on those books. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm next. Damn it. Uh, (laughs) See, if you study, then you won't be like me. Uh, Cal, unfortunately, I studied a whole lot, which because I was an engineer. I never did. That's crazy. Cal defense. Uh, Hi, Ryan and Dave. Can you please shed some light on how Cal's defense became elite? Uh, Is it a product of having a defensive minded head coach? Is Tim DeRuiter this good? And if so, how long before he gets another head coaching job or poached away by a flush with money Big Ten school? Cal's recruiting rankings are painfully average. How do they do it? John in Brea. Yeah, they, I mean, there, there was an article, I think, I forget what, it was one of the Bay Area papers talking about like Cal's secondary could be like the best in the country. Uh, all six of those guys coming back, we talked about them uh, in the preview. I mean, I think it helps having Wilcox being a defensive-minded coach uh, I think Tim DeRuiter is a really good uh, defensive coach. Um, you know, they, I think they've identified talent pretty well. I would say they got a lot of guys with upside when you look through the recruiting class that not not necessarily all of them are five stars, but I think they just built it 
the right way, like pretty much the exact opposite of the way they built the offense. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I, I yeah I'm not I'm curious about Deruder because I covered him when he was at Fresno State, and uh, you know it was his first time being head coach, and I, I feel like the deficiency there was on the recruiting side more than anything. Um, I mean they had uh, you know not David Carr. Why am I blanking? Who's the the Derek Carr? Um, and they had some, you know, some stuff. They had Devontae Adams, who's with the uh, Green Bay Packers and uh, some some really good players on defense. But he didn't really replace those guys. And I think he focused recruiting on Texas, where he came from, from Texas A&M, as opposed to California, where he was currently coaching. Um, you know, if he got another head coaching job, I'm sure that's something that would be addressed. Like, hey, we needed to recruit better. We didn't really put as much effort as we need to. So he could. Uh, but if their defense is elite again, there's people are going to come after him because you're just, I mean, even if, even if he had nothing to do with the defense, which I don't believe, I think he has a lot to do with it. He's a defensive coordinator for one of the best defenses in the country. And you're going to try to poach him. Yeah. Um, I don't know if uh, there's probably somebody out there who breaks it down much more thoroughly, but yeah, it's hundred percent coaching. Two years ago, California's defense ranked 107th in the S and P plus last year. It ranked 13th. This year, it's projected to rank fifth. Uh, that's coaching. The only thing that changed was coaching. So, yeah, it's the coaching. Whether you want to pin it on Wilcox or DeRuiter. DeRuiter. Can you pronounce it for me again, Tim DeRuiter, yeah. God, it's so – it trips me up. The why – like, <laughs> come on, buddy. Figure that thing out. Um, anyway, uh, Tim DeRuiter. DeRuiter. I want to add a Y in there so bad. I want to go DeRuiter, <laughs> but it's not going to happen. I'm not going to well, do it. Well, you do it. do it, yes. Uh I do do it. I do do. <laughs> um, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's one of the two, Comb- combination of the two, fine. Uh, but you don't go from 106th to 13th uh, without a massive influx of coaching acumen overnight. So, yeah, definitely definitely coaching. Um, not sure how the breakdown works, though. Cool. All right, this is from Andy. Uh, controversy. Salutations. First time writer, long time listener. In your last podcast, you brought up the uh, quarterback situation at UCLA and mentioned Colson Yankoff was an option and then followed with there being a bit of a controversy there. I was wondering if either of you could give me your take on this or elaborate a little bit more. Personally, I disagree with the current structure of the transfer rule. I think it should be easier for students to move from school to school. No one knows what is truly going on behind the scenes of the kid's life or mentality, and I find it odd that well-established adults end up making the final decision on if a player has eligibility or not. With that being said, the current rule states that a player must sit out a year if they transfer to another school and no hardship is found to be a factor. Yankoff appeared to be third string at UW at best and maybe even as low as fifth string, and that is widely considered to be the reason he left. Chip Kelly even said in an interview at Pac-12 Media Day that Yankoff transferred because he wanted to go to UCLA's engineering school. None of this screams hardship, and yet UW and Chris Peterson are being vilified for something that is just about every other program does just about every year. Why is the situation getting so much attention? Might I add that he probably wouldn't start anyway with DTR being in his way, and he would more than likely benefit from a year sitting out. The angst from UCLA fans seems a bit blown out of proportion. Something, something, Disney princesses, Star Wars, blah, blah, blah. Thanks for your time, and keep up the exceptional work. Andy. Um, I think you've hit the end and the beginning. Um, I think you're missing a little bit in the analysis. So, yeah, I don't think you would have started anyway. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, I think you're right in your instincts about the transfer rule. It should be relaxed. But the reality is that it is being relaxed. Um, The NCAA has approved basically anything that is um, where the school releasing the player has allowed him to be, you know, immediately released or sign the waiver or whatever. 
Um, the NCAA has very much relaxed its policy on transfers. Um, what stands out about this one is that Chris Peterson is not approving um, any sort of waiver. More and more coaches are doing so, so it stands out that he's not. Um, and I think his reasons for doing so are dumb and bad. Um, but I would think the same thing if it was Chip Kelly not approving a transfer. But notably, he did. Devon Modster went made an interconference transfer this past year to Cal, and uh, Kelly and UCLA gave approval for that to happen. Um, so I, I think it's a little petty by Chris Peterson. I think it's a little ridiculous for any coach to have that much control over any player's life. Um, if Colson Yankoff was going to be third string and maybe even as low as fifth string, first, it shouldn't matter to you, Chris Peterson. Second, that is hardship. His whole point is that he's going to want to play college. He's going to want to play football for a career. Well, if he was going to be third to fifth string with a bunch of younger guys in that depth chart, he's probably not going to play at Washington. So that's hardship. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it's all ridiculous. And yeah, we can get into the whole like fandom arguments about it, but I, I'm my overriding thing on all of these things is that it should be more or less up to the player where they want to go to school and they should have the ability to do that more or less at a drop of a hat, you know, season to season, if they want to leave and find a better opportunity to play, they should be allowed to. Um, and so I think this is all, a, you know, a bunch of people who are, you know, doing their usual tribal thing to support the school that they like or whatever. Um, and it's fine. That's fine. It's sports. People are allowed to do yeah. that. It's a safe way to do that outside of uh, real life. Um, but I mean, come on, is it fair to him to make him sit and be the third string or make him sit when he could actually be getting, I mean, it, for his personal development, because again, for UCLA, it probably wouldn't matter. I mean, he's probably not going to play a ton this year anyway, but could compete for the second string job, could actually work in the offense versus the scout team offense in practice. Um, but now he'll probably have to run the scout team and not really work a whole lot in the, uh, real base offense for Chip Kelly. So I, I don't know. It seems it just seems a little petty by Chris Peterson. That's all. Um, yeah, I mean, I like to see them be able to transfer and and not have you know if, if it's even a question like hey let them go and UCLA and Washington don't even play this year so I'm not sure why this is a thing but uh, it's not like you'd have to like face them or something down the road but whatever. No, he's he's trying like I was reading his like semi rationale because he wasn't talking about it directly but. Um, it seems like just he's trying to be in a hardcore old school coach or whatever, be a hard ass. And it's just like, this is stupid. I mean, it, I don't think it's going to discourage anybody from transferring who otherwise would want to, um, but it might piss some people off. It just seems dopey. Yeah. That's all. All right. Uh, so you hate Washington. So David hates Washington <laughs> and Chris Peterson. It's just, I, I, I don't care. I mean, it's again, he probably wouldn't play this year, yeah. and, but it's more just like the general, just let kids go where they want to go. They're 18. Yeah. They made a dumb decision. Let them, let them make another dumb one. If you think it's dumb or a smart one, if you think it's smart, but just let yeah. them go. All right. Uh, how's your French? Um, this is oh, from Hitler day. Le Poitier. I don't, I don't know. French Ella Gantier. I don't, I Gantier might be like glove or something, but I don't, that could be because, well, look that up. Okay. Le Poitier et le Grantier, something like that. Uh, Hitler Day. Earlier this... Potier is pottery. Okay. Um, and Gantier is... Don't know. Hang on. This is really important. We've got to look this up. 
the glove maker. Glove maker. The potter. It could be the potter and the glove maker. Okay. Um, Earlier this summer, I asked Ryan if he was concerned about the loss of tight end Tyler Petit. Since he was blocking on nearly every snap USA took last year, and Graham Harrell, unlike other air raid coordinators, preferred using a true tight end at North Texas. Hithlady, remember that one time you didn't bring up something that we said like weeks ago? Do you remember that time? We go back to those times. Uh, At the time, Ryan responded with some hopes about the youngsters Josh Follow, Eric Cromenhoke, and Jude Wolf. So I was surprised last week that Ryan didn't mention any of the tight end development at all and just focused on the elite wideout core. Uh, should we infer from this that Harold has uh, changed tack in fall camp and has been operating out of a 10 personnel set most of the time? Huh? What the hell is he talking about? Because I didn't mention the tight ends and some other thing. Yeah, they pl- you said that they haven't really been featured a ton, I think. Not a ton, no. It's like the wide receivers are really good. Um, I did a story on Josh Fowler this past week, and uh, yeah, they're going to put their hands on the ground a little bit more. Um, Eric Cromino caught a touchdown in the fall you know, uh, scrimmage thing that they had on Saturday. Um, they'll be used. I think they'll be H-back guys. They'll be, you know, they'll be in the slot. They'll, they'll block some. Um, but I don't know. Hitler Day, what are you doing? Uh, okay, I was also confused that the linebackers didn't rate any discussion. Since Cam Smith and Port Augustine strike me as the biggest losses on the team, what's the status of their replacements and the switch of a bunch of complex hybrid outside linebacker positions to traditional inside backers? Yeah, they they moved some guys around uh, as far as the linebacker stuff goes. You had uh, Palier Naoteote, former five-star, playing uh, the mic. He's now playing Will. Um, they changed the front a little bit too. Port Augustine was more of a, uh, predator. They called it. Now it's like, it seems like more of a four down lineman sort of thing, um, where they, you know, they'll have like an outside linebacker and then they'll have like sort of like a defensive end on the other side. Uh, they're going to come after the quarterback a lot. The defensive end is not going to be dropping back into space a bunch, but they've definitely moved some guys around and they weren't sure how they were going to use all the linebackers. And they've had a couple guys banged up. Jordan Isafa is out. Um, Solomon Tuyalapupu's out. So yeah, they've they they've had to move some guys around. But I like the way the defensive front looked uh, on Saturday. They, they said David, like many commentators, uh, contend that UCLA's offense improved at the end of the year, presumably referring to the win over USC and close losses to ASU and Stanford. Uh, a, a skeptic of this purported um, Bruin purported, purported, purported Bruin Renaissance might note that all three games were played entirely by Wilton Spate and that Dorian Thompson-Robinson went 9-for-23 passing in the game prior against Oregon. And as such, this was really just a product of Spate's uh, superior play. The UCLA counter theory has struck me as awfully vague and cliched that the offense, quote, just clicked, and I'm hoping the boys can do better. What specific personnel or scheme changes happened in those games that didn't show up in the first nine. <laughs> well, Hithoday, I think you actually have this wrong. Um, so, and if I misspoke at any point, I don't think I did, but if I misspoke at any point, forgive me. Um, the offensive renaissance was really the last eight games of the season. Um, it took a major leap up um, because of a couple of personnel things that happened. Uh, Joshua Kelly, if you go back and look at his stats, really wasn't doing much until the Colorado game. Uh, he didn't even play versus Fresno State, and that was not an injury. That was 
more or less performance in practice. Um, he was not showing good effort. Um, but the first three games of the year were basically a wash. He didn't play at all. Um, and then Colorado came. He saw a bunch of time in the, I think it was either the first half or the second half. I can't remember which. Um, but then the offense changed quite a bit with him in. And then also uh, Boss Tagaloa, the starting center, was out the first three games due to suspension. Uh, so when those two guys were back in, Dorian Thompson-Robinson got his feet wet against Cincinnati and then took his lumps against Oklahoma, Fresno State, and Colorado. But um, he made big strides starting in the Washington game, um, actually. So the offense really started to come on, um, whatever that was, October 6th. Um, and then it was more or less goodish the rest of the way. But um, the best game for that offense last year was against Washington, which was the sixth, fifth game of the year. Um, and then maybe the second or third best game was the next week at California. And both games were started by Dorian Thompson Robinson. Um, I would, for my money, the, the game against Cal um, was maybe the best game the quarterback played last year for UCLA. Uh, but Washington was really good considering the degree of difficulty. Um, but you're right. Spate was the quarterback for the final three games and the offense looked good then too. Um, and Dorian Thompson Robinson was certainly inconsistent, but um, how he looked against Washington and Cal and then how he looked against Arizona before he went down. Uh, I think that's why you're seeing a lot of optimism for the offense this year. And I don't know that it was a ton of schematic things. I think they were pretty vanilla to start the year um, because uh, I think they were still work trying to work out what they had. And so they added a little bit more complexity as the season went on. Um, but I really think the biggest change was personnel um, adding Tagaloa, adding Kelly, um, and really having um, Dorian Thompson Robinson get comfortable, um, I think that's you know what caused the quote unquote just clicked feeling. But that happened way earlier in the season. It wasn't the final. Three gotcha. Games. Well, thanks. Uh, hit the day, and I just got a text from David who's saying that this was a great example of a question that could be self-edited. Now, now I don't agree with that hit the day, <laughs> but that's what David said. He was saying something about maybe instead of taking the most convoluted road to get to what your question is. You could just ask it, you know. So I'm not that I agree. I, I love your questions, Hitler Day. I'm just amazing that I was able to text that while yes. talking. It's a extemporaneously. Pretty, pretty pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, here's an important note. Uh, John David Booty, little bro. John David Booty's little brother is named General Booty. That deserves a yeah. segment. He's like a stud recruit. I think too. that's right. Uh, I, is it his brother? I'll have to. I know Josh and and JD pretty well, so I'll. Well, I, I haven't talked to him in a while. I, I talk to Josh every once in a while. He's a crazy, dude, but um, very cool. He does a lot of media and stuff now. But yeah, I'll, he's like a big recruit. So um, I don't know what year what year he is, but it's uh, it's a pretty awesome name. Yeah, I was just looking it up because I saw that General Booty was Jay Sarah, and I'm like that. That can't be right. These these can't be Southern California originals. And then I looked up, and yeah, John David Booty is from Louisiana. Yeah, so that they moved sense. out here. I think John David Booty lives out in like Newport Beach now or something. So that would make sense if they're going to J. Sarah. But uh, I think a lot of the family end up moving out here from Louisiana. Yeah, that sounds okay. right. That sounds right. Uh, All right, I can read the next one too since that one. Okay, was short. You do that. That'd be good. All right, zero and twelve. Watch for USC. Uh, this is from Lone Star Dog. Lone Star Dog from Sweden here again. Thank you for confirming you're, ab you're hopelessly addicted to your respective schools. This email is more of a prediction slash warning to Ryan and all the Trojans out there. 
As I stated in my email in the last pod, the UW fan base and administration was cleansed in the baptismal fire of an 0-12 season in 2008. There was no hope. There were no excuses. We all had to turn our back and let the program drown gurgle for the greater good. As I look more at USC's season, I see many parallels to the complex mess that UW entered in 2008. The following list is attributes of the UW team before 2008, which should sound familiar. One, a coach who should have been fired the year before. However, a lazy and distracted athletic department allowed him to fire a few assistants and install a new scheme that will fix last year's problem. Two, the general defense for the unfired coach is that he's high character and deserves more time. Also, the program was a mess and it takes a lot of work to clean up the culture. Three, university administration and AD distracted by other scandals inside and outside sports and generally has zero bandwidth to monitor managed programs. Four, number one, strength of schedule nationally, um, out of conference of BYU, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, and very front-loaded, which won't allow time for the team to build confidence after a particularly distracting off-season of rumors and drama. Five, believing the program is enough of a blue blood that it can skate by on talent because you're Washington, damn it. The team was still picked by media to be on the edge of a bowl game. People forget that. We all know how that season played out, and it all started with a really difficult few games and a couple critical injuries. I believe the above statements should be familiar to USC, so I won't repeat them, but it's important to focus on how the season starts. With a fragile culture and high expectations, confidence and early momentum is everything, and looking at USC's schedule, the first six games do not have any gimmies. If USC loses to a tough Fresno State, that's a T-U-F-F tough, a formidable, yeah, that's especially tough, a formidable Stanford, then on the road to the dirtiest, classy program in BYU... Clay will be a dead man walking, and the season will be over. However, and as we experience at UW, the administration could be too lazy or insecure to actually do anything, and thus starts the death march to 0-12. UW wasn't 0-12 talent, but the mismanagement of the catastrophe drove the team there. Willingham wasn't fired until late October, and then still allowed to coach the rest of the season. If the USC admin similarly mindfucks the program, it could get very ugly. He tricked me into saying that. Yeah, I saw that. Nice. Uh, so all that said, this Fresno State game is everything for USC. If they lose, the torches and bitch forks will come out immediately, and things will get interesting for everyone except Ryan, Lone Star Dog. That would be very interesting for me, Lone Star Dog, too. Um, but no, yeah, I would say there's a lot of similarities there, and some that I wasn't even like aware of at the time. I think there's really good points. The problem is, if you looked at USC's 5-7 and seven season last year, I mean, is that the... Is that the floor? I, I don't know. I, because it's still a really talented roster, and I would say it's a lot more talented than what Kyle Whittingham – I mean, Kyle Whittingham. Oh, my God. <laughs> Not Kyle Whittingham. Uh, Ty had at Washington. And if you looked at the uh, – 24-7 does a uh, like a talent meter uh, for 2018, basically putting the recruiting class together and things like that. Um, and who's left and who's still on the roster. USC's roster was ranked number four in the country last year. So just by not, I mean, you had to really screw up a lot of things to go five and seven. I, you know, could they do worse? I guess it's possible, but they they did fix some things with some coaching stuff and they're still talented. Uh, so I, I think it's different. I don't think Washington had any like five stars on the roster and USC still has a bunch of them. Um, so I think you can get, close to that they could definitely lose to a fresno state um but i i approaching 0 and 12 i just don't even see that as as a possibility um yeah that that would be tough to do just because they are it, it's the pac-12 is just not you know overall is it like the toughest conference in the country no and usc has better players than most everyone they're going to play so you really have to screw things up to lose all those games yep i don't know if you agree dave but that's 
Uh, but they could have a crappy, yeah, I, I, crappy I have, season. I have a very hard time seeing 0-12. Yeah. Very hard time seeing 0-12. I mean, they, they could have a very, very crappy season, but that's I, – I don't think you have to be on 0-12 watch. That's UW fans, you got that one. Um, no, you're you're on 5-7 and seven yeah. watch. That like, Which would be a freaking the- disaster. It was a disaster last year. Like, that doesn't happen. So uh, the 0-12 thing just still baffles me that uh, that, 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 that happened. Uh, Justin is – they were herocious. He's herocious. Um, this is from Evan. Uh, he says, I just had to write in and nominate, quote, Justin for the most pompous commentator I have I'm sorry, I've heard yet on the podcast of Champions. Which one is Justin? Who is Justin? I guess I hope we'll learn. Huh? We're going to learn? I hope we'll learn. We'll learn about this? Okay. And yes, I'm not nominating Justin for most pompous commentator, despite the fact that you have a regular commentator on here that writes his subject lines exclusively uh, in a dead language that forces you guys to waste your time looking up words that no one outside of the Vatican knows anymore. Oh, okay. So he's talking about an emailer. I was like, do we have a yeah. guest on that we I didn't know about? Uh, anyway, as you'll recall, Justin is the guy last week who simply had, no, we will we, not. I was going to say, you, you, you're wrong already. <laughs> we have no idea who you're talking about. Um, just <laughs> the guy last week who simply had to let everyone know how much smarter he was than the rest of us and tell us how easy he felt his first year of law school at UCLA was. Oh, right. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, I'm sure he asked a question about graduate students or law students, but that was clearly secondary to his primary purpose of showcasing his academic talents to strangers on the internet. Oh, so I should probably ask a question. How about pivot away from Justin and ask instead, who is your favorite commentator? Um, or I guess it's commenter. I was saying yeah. commentator. That's completely wrong. Okay. Maybe it's that's fine. why I'm, I'm, I'm an idiot. Uh, you obviously get repeated. <laughs> you get repeat comments like Hitler day, Bernie, and others I can't recall, uh, but there's got to be one uh, commenter you actually look forward to the most, right? I was saying commentator. My, I, I guess that's what was on my brain. My vote goes to that Shane guy. Uh, the few times he's written in, I found myself laughing pretty hard. What about you? Thanks for making the offseason almost bearable. Almost Sco Buffs Evan. Thank you, Evan. You're you're up the list now. I mean, you're 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 not quite tops, but you're you're on the list. Um, yeah, Shane's really good. Uh, Shane's pretty funny. I look forward to Hitler Day's stuff. I enjoy it. Um, Ryan, Ryan has more trouble with it, but I, I enjoy it. I, th- I find it um, diverting um, because it's always fun trying to parse the language. Um, so, yeah, I, I enjoy that. But, no, Shane Shane, Shane has posted some gut busters. Shane's pretty amazing. Show. Um, I, I like John Abrea's not. I mean, there's, we have a lot of great ones. You know, it's hard to, like, like we couldn't remember what Justin was saying last week. Um, but yeah, we got, I like, we love the repeat people, uh, they come in and there's some really funny stuff and you can tell, I mean, there's a lot of people that are funny because all those comments we get that Dave reads at the top of the show, uh, on Apple podcasts, they're all like very witty, you know, and they're, uh, people that get it. Oh, and uh, the next guy is actually one of my faves too. Chris from Seoul. So, oh, cool. Okay. Read his, an international question. Um, correction. You do have competition. Uh, great offseason, really enjoyable and entertaining. Thanks. It must take considerable mental effort to read and discuss listener emails. Yes. <laughs> I imagine you guys are winded and spent, so the podcast will drift down during the season. Oh, well, it was great while it lasted. Uh, on several podcasts, you have claimed exclusivity as a podcast about Pac-12 football. Not adjusted for quality and the combination of football and Disney princesses, the inconvenient truth is you do have competitor, something called 12-pack. 
Notwithstanding, please feel free to ignore facts as you both are wont to do and continue to claim to be the one and only. Sounds yeah. good. Isn't the which one is it the shutdown full cast that says they're the only college football podcast? The only college football yeah. podcast. They are. The only one. Uh, Quick, true or false? Uh, One, the more significant reason the North is currently much better than the South is not quality of coaches, but rather rather quality of athletic directors. I'd probably still go coaches. I would say false. Me too. False. Two, Herm Edwards and Mike Leach will prove to be much bigger Hard Rocks reality stars than John Gruden, not to mention being better coaches. I haven't seen the Raider ones. I've just heard that's terrible, so I'll go true. True. Come December, the Pac-12 will have five quarterbacks recognized broadly as being among the best in the country. All right, so you'd be talking Justin Herbert, KJ Costello. Khalil Tate. Um, Khalil Tate. Steven Montez. We, uh, Steven Montez. Maybe. Okay. Tyler Huntley. Tyler Huntley could. Um, whoever wins the Cal job is going to be up there, right? You know. <laughs> you know uh Honestly, whoever wins the Washington State job. Yeah, that would be a good one, too. Uh, JT Daniels? No? No. I mean, he could throw for a crap load of yards with all those receivers. So I, I would say true. I think you're going to have you'll yeah, f- sure. five will emerge. Yeah. Uh, conference parity reigns supreme, and the Pac-12 will go the next five seasons without a CFB participant. False. I think false, too. I think I, I picked Washington to go this year, so we'll see if that comes true. Oregon and Washington will be the defining marquee rivalry in the Pac-12 over the decade of the 20s. False. Yeah, probably false there, too. Uh, If I can ever find a second Asia-Pacific listener that understands English, I will start the POC Fan Club East Asia chapter. True. I believe in Chris. Very true, Chris. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Yeah, tell a friend in Seoul. If you're a Pac-12 listener, you're heading to Asia... You're going to be in South Korea. Come on. Go go uh, tell Chris hi. You guys can meet at a bar or something. There you nice. go. Uh, let's see. Oh, wait. This is some spam. And then we got one last one. Looks like Anthony. Uh, hi, Ryan and Dave. What is the ceiling and floor for each Pac-12 team this season? For example, Washington makes the playoff ceiling. Uh, Washington barely qualifies for a bowl floor. And then what has a better chance of happening this season? The Pac-12 has a Heisman finalist. Or the Pac-12 makes the playoff. Thanks from Anthony. I feel like we did the floor right. ceiling thing when we did all the previews, but I guess we could go over that again. We did it last season, more or less, but let's let's go through it. All right, so why don't we start with where we finished today? Arizona. Um, looking at it, uh, I think the ceiling is like eight and four, and that's yeah, eight and four. I yeah. would say, and then the the floor is four and eight. I would, yeah, I would probably agree with that. It's just, you know, missing Washington State and Cal. Yeah, I, I think it's just going to be tough to get through that. I, I think probably in the middle of that, between the four and eight and eight and four, is probably safe. Um, Arizona State, I'd say the floor, like the reasonable floor, the reasonable uh, ceiling is nine and three. Um, as I was going through it again, they've got like two games that are really. Those will be hard to win in Michigan State and at Utah, um, but the rest of it, it's all winnable. Um, you got to figure they'll lose at least one or more of those. But nine and three, I think, feels like the reasonable I mean, I, ceiling. I could say ten. Like if you're gonna, like, uh, it probably seems high. Uh, nine's probably fair. That, ten, ten would be okay. high, uh, but nine and three feels good. And then uh, bottom side, mm, 
even if things went horribly wrong, I'm having a hard time with four and eight. I think five yeah. and seven. Or even a six and six, but probably five and seven safer. Yeah. Um, all right. Then next, let's do Colorado. All right, Colorado. Uh, best case scenario might be my four and eight, maybe five and seven. Yeah. Maybe five and seven. Um, and then the worst case, I think, is your two yeah, and ten. That's probably it's a tighter range, but that's probably that's probably correct. Um, um, all right, then let's do Utah. Uh, Utah. I mean, twelve and zero is the ceiling. Yeah, this is this is a playoff type, you know, potential team. So, I mean, you want to say eleven and one just to be safe, but it's. I think it's a playoff type of team. Um, uh, seven and five, eight and four is the. Yeah, is the floor. I would probably go with that too. Yeah, but this should be at at minimum a nine win team yeah. this year. Um, all right, let's do UCLA and USC. All right, so let's start with UCLA. Um, ceiling, eight and four. That seems about right. I think you know, Joshua Kelly has a great like that. great year. There's a lot of toss up games they can win. Um, Okay, eight and four, and then uh, floor is. I would go with. Uh, uh, I, I might do four and eight or no, five and seven. Three and nine or four yeah, and eight. Probably one four of the two. and eight. Probably four and eight. I think it'll be better. Right. Uh, USC. I think this yeah, is pretty USC. wide. I think you could go. Ten and two or four and eight. Yeah, I would go there. Yeah. Um, just because um, they're just because the right. talent on the roster. Yeah, for sure. All right, Cal. Um, this feels like a narrow band. Yeah, I think this. W- like, but the problem is they're going seven and five to five yeah. and seven. <laughs> so there's just gonna be some coin flip games though, so maybe it can stretch it. Maybe it's four and eight, eight and four. You know, but maybe, I don't know about maybe. four. I, I think it's my my five and seven to seven and five. I think Let's that's go five and band. seven. Okay, you don't think they can get an eight win somehow? Uh, hard yeah. time. Maybe there's yeah, a they bunch could, of road games. It's like ugh. Uh, Stanford also feels like it has a broad range for me. Um, I could see them going nine and three, and I could also see them going four. Yeah. Um, they're preseason top 25, you know? So is that like the nine and three? Like if you finish 25 in the country, you're nine and three, uh, or maybe a little higher. So yeah, that seems about right. Yeah. All right. And then, uh, Oregon state, um, (laughs) Absolute peak three and nine, <laughs> maybe four and eight, maybe and then two and ten. No, I mean, no, and 12. Well, no, they can't lose to Cal Poly. One so and 11 to this. The, the floor is one and 11. Oh, that pains me yeah. to say that. Yeah, four and eight. Okay, all right. Uh, Oregon, um, top end. I mean, gosh, in an ideal world, they could go 11. Yeah, and one, I would probably. say 11 and one. You got and a lot then, of hype. Uh, the, the bottom end, they could also go six. seven and five. I was gonna say six and six. I don't know if six and six. I don't know if six and six okay. is out there. Seven and five. Like that would require them losing one of well, yeah, I mean it would require them losing basically every game where they're not a double digit favorite. Which seems which, unlikely. Unlikely. Um so I think seven and five is their reasonable okay. floor. Uh Washington State. Um, ceiling is. I mean, they won freaking uh, eleven. They won eleven games last year. Yeah, I think nine. Would you push it to ten, or probably not? 
Well, 10 would require them beating one of at Utah on the road, at Oregon on the road, or at Washington. Yeah. That's um, tough. They could do it, I guess, but then they would have to. They got to win every other game. Else. So nine, I think nine's more reasonable. Like it's a good ceiling. N- yeah, nine and three, and then on the low end, things go horribly wrong. I don't know. Six and six, six, and six. I would say. Yeah, uh, Washington. Um, so top end, obvious twelve and zero. Um, bottom end. I don't think that what he said, what Anthony said, is like barely qualifying for a bowl. I just don't think that that's. I'd say yeah. eight and four. Eight and four really would be like you'd be pretty disappointed four. in that season for Washington. Yeah. Um, okay, and then the better um, chance. What's the better chance of yeah. happening? The Heisman finalist or making the playoff? I think making the playoff. Yeah, agreed. Um, who would be like so? Like Justin Herbert. Um, Herbert, if uh, if Oregon goes gangbusters and he's really good, um, Khalil Tate, if he's as good as people are purporting him to be this spring or this fall. I mean, Chenault, but he's, um, the wide receivers never win, so it's like that's unless they do what they were doing with him last year, which hard to know with a new offense. But if if he's out there playing, you know, fullback and racking up touchdowns as they're you know up back at different times, or if he's doing the wide variety of things, maybe. You get his usage way up there, yeah. Um, but yeah, no hard time seeing it. Um, yeah, it could be somebody out of nowhere. If Stanford's really good this year and KJ Costello is a reason why, maybe. Um, but I just don't see a statue doing it in uh, in the year of our Lord twenty nineteen. Uh, usually need a little bit more with your legs. So yeah, I think it's probably Herbert or Tate if it's anybody, and uh, my money would be much more heavily on uh, being a CFB participant. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that's wrapping it up for this week. That's all our questions. So uh, good stuff. Our first two-hour show of the season. Oh, my God, it was, huh? Over two hours. Yeah. Holy. Oh, yeah. And, and I didn't even feel like we, like, rambled too much. That was That was, that was fa- fairly tight, I would say, and still. Uh, for us. I mean, I know everyone out there is like, oh, my God, I fell asleep during the, the middle stages of that. And I'm like, look, for us. For us, it was tight. For us, that yeah. was tight. Uh, all right. Well, I guess it's going to wrap it up. Uh, that is David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham. We are the podcast of champions. The next time we talk to you, we will be recapping a game. Like how nutty is that? And previewing an entire week of them. like 11 games. Probably. Is there? Is, yeah. No way. Too yeah, many. There's going to be a yeah, lot. A lot the, so the first yeah. this week, next week will be okay. Um, but the week after that, when we have to recap like 11 games and preview 12 of them is going to be very difficult. I, I, it's going to be something like that. Like some, some, whatever you people do, it, it, train yourselves for at least the next three weeks to be brief with yeah. your questions, like really tighten those things up because during non-conference play, we're going to want to kill ourselves <laughs> if we get to two and a half hours. We just are. Um, so whatever you can do to bring it down and make it tighter, we would really yeah. appreciate it. Awesome stuff. Okay. Well, that's David. I'm Ryan. Thanks so much for tuning in to the podcast of champions and we will talk to you next time.